Hi, I'm Liam O'Rourke, and this week it's come out that Brock Lesnar is not eligible to be drug tested under the WWE wellness policy. We here at SCG tried to inquire with WWE about part-time performers not being drug tested, but Triple H's suspiciously large forehead declined to comment. I'm Carl Jones, and I'd like to launch an urgent appeal. I'm calling out to all the listeners of this podcast. If you have seen G. John Chase, please call Klondike 52239. He was last seen boarding a plane to Switzerland. Please get in touch. I'm Kieran O'Rourke, and to be honest, guys, I am behind with wrestling this week. I forgot Battleground was this Sunday, so I'm playing catch-up. Nothing topical to say. This show is about tag teams, so let's pretend I've said something entertaining about me, Channing Tatum, and Sasha Banks. Sweet. And I'm Matt Holt, and after such a long break away from the podcast, I'm hoping I'm more tag team specialist than tag team miscommunication. Hoping being the opposite word. This is the panel for the 92nd Squared Circle Gazette Radio, and you can hear us debate the most useless tag teams and stables in wrestling history... Next. Yo, you dealing with the X Factor. I got everything I ever Yo. wanted, and I'll never Yo. give that back. Yo. Oh, I know you hate that Factor, but you ain't gotta look at me like that. I said you ain't gotta look at me like that. Hello everyone and welcome to the 92nd Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Lemo Rock alongside Carl Jones. Gee, if you're listening, please don't call me. Yeah, I've just changed my mind by the way. I don't want to tag team Sasha Banks with Channing Tatum anymore. Sasha's all mine, baby. And this is the first time in a while. Matt Holt! I'll just stand in the corner and take a hot tag when I've got something funny to say. Uh, so we are back this week, of course, to talk about the most useless tag teams and stables in history. Uh, very much looking forward to this show. Uh, we have, of course, a litany of feedback, 15 pages of different nominations from you, the loyal listeners, on who you think is the most useless tag team or stable in wrestling history. We have a number of uh, fantastic candidates to talk about today. Uh, just to get to a little bit of housekeeping before we uh, get rolling, uh, if you haven't heard us before, if you listen to us for the first time, you can, of course, go back and listen to our previous show shows at squaredcirclegazette.com uh, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash scgradio or subscribe to us on iTunes uh, to make sure you never miss a show going forward useless tag teams in stables of course you heard the great song off the top there Uncle Cracker and uh, with so many nominations no, no, no time to wait so let's get to of course the first nomination on the list which is X Factor uh, Migs on Pro Wrestling Only says X Factor's theme song was kind of catchy and when I was in college those of us who watched Raw together really enjoyed it otherwise I can literally think of nothing positive that happened with them Mr. JL on TPWW form says it has to be X Factor at least some of the other stables had some sort of potential of initial buzz X Factor sucked right out of the gate and just kept on trucking never did anything of note nobody got over and it was really uninspired and I really dig a lot of Sean Watman's work. I enjoyed original ECW Just Incredible and Albert slash A-Train slash Tenzai had his moments, but the pairing was abysmal. Steve Fox 1200 on com says, love your podcast. Uh, I have to say, even though I love X-Pac, X-Factor. Putting two directionless mid-carders together to get another past his prime mid-carder over in a click-style stable was a terrible idea. It was like the NWO guys when they were being led by Virgil. Uh, MB on WrestlingFor.com says that dreadful Uncle Cracker theme song. X-Pac was pure X-Pac heat and so stale it was ridiculous at this point just incredible was okay in ECW but just didn't have it in the WWF I feel bad for Matt Bloom as I 
like him, but this was just a dreadful stable all round, ill-fitting and just absolutely nothing. Lyle Clark on the Facebook page says, X-Pac, Albert, Incredible, coming out to that Uncle Cracker music, enough said. And finally, Snitsky's back acne on the UK fan forum says, and not must go to X-Factor, who are almost as shit as their ITV namesake. <laughs> <laughs> Pack Albert, Incredible, has there ever been worse entrance music in the history of the business ever? So of course, on that note, we have to start with these guys. So what is the criteria for most it, useless? It's, it's not worse. Make it's your not, own criteria. Make your own criteria. It's not necessarily this is the, the dirt worst team. For example, we didn't get a Bushwhackers nomination. What the might, fuck? Who might be a comic? Because they have a use as comedy. What use? Foil, they I are guess. funny. <laughs> I, hey, is that, I would have voted for them if I was Well, uh, yeah, I'm saying right now, it's fuck X Factor off. I'm, I'm sorry with the Bushwhackers. Fuck those guys. I'm not, I'm not even giving the Bushwhackers a pass for the time they had that Eugene Jameson with them. <laughs> okay, so then you, you want to go with this lad's taking the ball by the horn. Bushwhackers or X Factor, where we start? Well, well, yeah, that's the question I was going to ask. You have to pick one. Who do you have in your company? X Factor. Exactly. <laughs> bushwhackers. You're taking the bushwhackers. Why? Yeah, I said the bushwhackers. Go on. Uh, I, I'm with Liam's mindset on it. I think that they were they were serviceable as what they did. I don't see what the um, X Factor achieved what they were there to do at the time. If that makes sense. And I say when X Factor first came along, I didn't hate them. I didn't hate them. I'm trying to put my words carefully here to uh, sustain my immense credibility with the in internet the IWC yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I was like oh, I like Pac I like Pac Incredible as a team Incredible Incredible because I hadn't seen so much so you had the kind of the, the, still had the bit of the power slam fucking bullshit vibe behind him like ECW yeah 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 that he was actually underused well, and could be more yeah maybe these two guys would be a cool team I've got to say though fucking Albert isn't getting enough heat in, from the listeners no I agree fuck no. To me, he's the reason why it stank. He's got no redeeming factors. He's, he's got no redeeming X factors. <laughs> hey, fuck you, Albert. <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. Bloom. The Bloom was never on the rose with that oh, guy, was it, Carl? Carl you <laughs> stole your gimmick. I thought that they were all right together. I actually had, I thought they had promise, you know? It's like, it, and, and even, actually, if you watch Judgment Day, where they do the tag team turmoil match, if anybody remembers this, and X-Pac Incredible get a decent run, and they look like a really good heel team. There's, there's nothing wrong with them as a duo. The addition of Albert, who just didn't fit at all, and was just there to be the heater, is, which, by the way, that's a term that doesn't apply yeah. here, because that absolutely sapped any energy this group had. Yeah, but fuck the bus rockers. They lit kids, for fuck's sake. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, any final thoughts on X Factor before we get to some of the candidates? No, I think you guys pretty much summed it up quite nicely. The only thing I would say is, probably the most redeeming feature for me about them was the entrance music. Really? And they uh, sort of had a sort of comedic timing to it. I, I enjoyed it initially, got a, got a good laugh out of me. So yeah, I, I think that pretty much says all you need to know, though, that the, the most memorable thing about them was their shit music. We'll move on to our second candidate here, so we've got, that's kind of the benchmark going forward of uselessness, I suppose. Uh, we'll, we'll follow up now with... <laughs> More or less useless than X Factor, that's well, the judgement. We'll, we'll, we'll call it the X Factor rule. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they had a use, they could have been a decent tag team. But yeah. they ended up being <laughs> useless. They were... Ah. Were, they non were they useless or unused? Okay, so this is a, a non-useless tag team that became a useless state. Okay, yes. That, yes. That's, that's been my cool. designation. Cool, cool. So were they a, the tag, was the tag team called X-Factor? The whole thing was called X-Factor. No, oh, yeah, like, they, they, they only were called X-Factor, I think, after Once they got the three in Albert, all eight and three, eight stuck his nose in. We've gone on to the second candidate here. Domatime2 on WrestlingForum.com says, The Truth Commission. I mean, guys, the fucking Truth Commission. In a time where WCW had something known as the NWO going on, and to be fair, this is during a time where even the WWF had started to pick up in terms of edginess. But yeah, you know what kind of stable is going to be a major hit in this era? A military faction built around the truth? 
I mean, what the hell was this supposed to be? A vehicle for Kurgan to get over as wants to heal? Why not just have him debut as a solo wrestler with a commandant, or just do the jackal from the beginning? Just terrible talent involved in this entire thing, and I'll stick to my original point with this faction. The idea is totally useless, and had no chance of ever taking off. Death from Above on Pro Wrestling Only says the same thing. Uh, a South African white power military activist group is really not a good content idea. I'm not even sure half the guys ever got up of doing jobs on Shotgun Saturday Night either, so it's not as if the WWF even saw anything much in the idea either. Why were they even there is somewhat of a mystery. I was going to initially answer with a Stevie Ray-led NWO black and white, because goddamn, but the Truth Commission were actually even worse. And the lone assassin on F4W says, uh, out of all the worst stables in wrestling when I saw the thread title, I immediately thought the Truth Commission, and I have no idea why. So this being the illustrious group of originally the Commandant, Recon, Tank, and Kurgan. Tank was a mantar in a mask. That, yeah. that legend of 1995 WWF. <laughs> dust him off in mothballs and bring him back for another go, I suppose. And then uh, the fat guy got replaced with Sniper, and uh, the Commandant eventually got replaced with the Jackal. But uh, yeah, so the Truth Commission. Yeah, the, the group with sort of loose ties to apartheid, at least that's how it felt it was implied at the yeah. time. I'm not going to try and say they're anything other than useless. Uh, please don't misinterpret this. But what I would say is, I'm not convinced by the emailer's suggestion of a solution being Kurgan debuting <laughs> as a singles guy. <laughs> again, we're not, we're not saying that this is the best. We're not talking about best and again, useless. They serve no role as a stable. If you're going to try and push him as a monster heel, useless as he'll end up being as a singles guy. As a stable, they were useless in this, and they serve no purpose. And let's not, let's not forget, by the way, that fucking stinkeroo with the DOA at Survivor Series 97. Gang rules. Oh, gang rules, gang rules. I think the email will get summed up pretty nice there. Pretty useless. Didn't amount to a hill of beans. Um, <laughs> I think the the best you can look at retrospectively of any of their careers is probably... Um, which one was Bull Buchanan again? Uh, Recon. Recon, there we go. Mm. B-squared. B-squared. <laughs> Member of RTC. Uh, big not- Bossman's type <laughs> partner. <laughs> Legendary quite, tag team part of the boss man. Quite the litany number of gimmicks there. Indeed. Hey, may as well just throw them all in Duke Drosy's uh, garbage can and be done with it. If I had to pick one of uh, X Factor or True Commission, I'm picking X Factor of the two. What? When they first brought them in, do you reckon? Nice, and it's in the middle of where they got the, you know, the Barik was the DOA, mm. the yeah, nation, yeah. and they were just like this new stable just rocked up on shotgun and sat like given, one day. Yeah, given that their penchant for uh, kind of the ethnic groups at the time. Mm. As you just mentioned, yeah. you think they were bringing them into feud with the nation? Because oh. remember the first time they did uh, the promo, uh, it was on from the South Africa show from Raw. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's obviously you know the whole thing was playing to apartheid, obviously, <laughs> and shockingly. Asked, and they played the yeah they put the apartheid flag on Raw by accident. Oh yeah, that's fucking yeah, hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I just wondered if it was going to be another uh, extremist been. group along with the other minorities. Well, talking of extreme groups here, we're going to go to Tiger Rick of the UK fan form for the next suggestion, and says, "I'm going to go for the cheapest of all the cheap imitations: sports entertainment extreme." Oh, Russo! You have to spell extreme without an e in, uh, in on the front, of course, because then the acronym is sex. Get it? It's edgy. Like TNA. It appeals to the cool kids gets a rude word or something. So sex is the worst NWO ripoff imaginable, headed by Vince Russo, because killing one company wasn't enough, and featuring such utter fucktards as the Harris boys. And if this is the only mention they got in this podcast, I'll buy Carl's beer for a month. It's not. <laughs> Damn it! 
Stone Cold Glenn Gilberti, Mike Sanders, that fat Elvis dude, Eric Watts for fuck's sake, and a handful of up-and-comers whose careers were set back ten years and a smaller handful of actual talents, like the Road Dogg and Grandmaster Sexay, who could give a fuck at this point because they're in TNA. Not a chance in hell should Russo have been on TNA, let alone try to recreate an angle everyone vividly remembered, but with talents who wouldn't get in the NWO B-team second reserve squad. And poor old AJ Styles played second fiddle to this shit. The one and only redeeming feature was the one-shots who came in during this stuff, notably Tony Schiavone. So, uh, <laughs> old Skiavo when he came in and buried today. You know what, think about it. Why do they get rid of the E from Extreme but not from Entertainment? SNX. It could be SNX, or it could be just SEE, so it'd be C, and they'd be the Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing is. If Vinnie Rue thought that, he would have fucking loved he it. He would have even thought of it. This was an absolutely horrible group. It's one of those groups that just shock horror. This really does fit in with Russo's New Blood Millionaires Club. It's, it's you know, Main Event Mafia. This thing of his thing was well, period, they, is it? What they just it? they all just peter out in the end. Yeah. There's no SEX was 2003, but like, oh, exactly. yeah. So it's like, it's just it just happens and it goes away and there's no payoff. You said it before. You said he's fucking guest booker when he doesn't book anything. Yeah, he books up to the start of. Was it supposed to be the invasion? Wasn't it? it, it yeah, rebook the invasion and, and he basically booked up to the first match. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, that's gr- obviously grinding my gears. So I'm still talking about it to this day. But yeah, again, it's another example of that idea. No substance, no direction. Yeah. No All thought. fur coat and no knickers, as Halty once said on this show. I'm glad that stuck around. <laughs> yeah, just a hideous stuff. We haven't even touched upon the, the times where Russo was coming out dressed as mis- in a Mr. Wrestling mask. Oh, Mr. Wrestling 3. Oh, <laughs> grief. But, but also, one of the emailers mentioned about their careers being pushed back 10 years. Yeah. I don't see why they should be any different to the rest of the TNA roster. <laughs> sort of epitomise it to an extent. As terrible as it is, they don't even look like a fucking group, do they? No, no. It's just a complete mismatch of guys. You mentioned Siaki, Styles, Ravens in it for some reason. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. Much like Vince Russo's career. So this is the, this is the litany. Okay, these are the guys who joined Sports Entertainment Extreme. Vince Russo, leader. Ooh. Desire. Oh God, I remember. Woman. She yeah. got fat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got a wrestler called Disgraceland, who's the fat Elvis guy that was being referenced before. David Flair, Glenn Gilberti, BG James, Ashley Hudson, who's from Australia, I think made a, made one show. Brian Lawler, Raven, Chris Sabin, Mike Sanders, Tony Schiavone is a one night only backstage announcer. Sonny Siaki, Eric Watts, Miss Hollywood, David Young, Ron and Don Harris, Triple X. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express, The Hot Shots, The Gathering, The New Generation, AJ Styles, and Chris Harris. That fucking many. <laughs> Russo! Unfortunately, uh, Todd Pengill didn't get his application responded to. <laughs> what about Rob Bartlett? <laughs> we can only assume they got lost in the post because they would have been accepted. So. <laughs> During the height of all this, I was at uni and I was only reading TNA results and it just made for such bizarre reading in reports <laughs> when you're reading about all this stuff and trying to actually imagine it um, because it was just chaos, wasn't it? And nothing made sense from week to week. Yeah, you'd like have like, Nikita Koloff would appear yeah. randomly like, after he hasn't been seen in years. Road Paul, Warriors, yeah, Dusty Rhodes. Paul Bearer shows up looking like... <laughs> and like, he's just like, ways like a metric turn. Yeah, well, wasn't, wasn't that the... That was the, the ski of own line. Why don't you stand next to me so I can make myself look thinner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Bad, bad, bad. S-E-X. Did you say the Harris brothers were in there? They were in there too. Yeah, they must make it somewhere on the day at the talk today. We'll get there. Ugh. That's three mentions already. <laughs> <laughs>
Let's go to a couple of tag teams here. We've got Phil Tutty on the Facebook page. He says, tag team-wise, there can be no bigger stiffs than the Johnsons. The early days of TNA were blighted by the Shane twins in pink latex bodysuits to make them resemble a pair of penises. Rod and Dick Johnson were nothing more than an excuse for knob gags aplenty. Now wrestling is full of knob gags and innuendo enough. A stiff tackle in the ring never fails to raise the ghost of <laughs> Kenneth Williams. But Rod and Dick Johnson were not a team you wanted to see get a big push at any time. They were just not needed. If you wanted to see a couple of lumbering cocks in early TNA, you had Ron and Don Harris right there. <laughs> I noticed in a pattern. You know, so the, the sort of a, a general symmetry that we quickly uh, sort of stumbled upon here. Shit tag teams and stables goes to, right, TNA. <laughs> and the Harris boys. <laughs> uh, Down End 2005 also said the Shane twins. Uh, the poor bastards had not only one but two shitty tag runs, which makes them worthy of consideration. First of all, they're the Johnsons in TNA. That's right, their entire gimmick was wearing full latex bodysuits to resemble a pair of large penises. That Vince Russo is really edgy, isn't he? Actually, come to think of it, they probably felt like a pair of pricks in that gimmick, so maybe the name was apt after all. Then they went on to have a run in WWE after that as the Gemini. Not the Gemini, you understand, mm-hmm. but Gemini. A really clever pun combining both the mythological Gemini twins and Simon Dean's fitness instructor gimmick. <laughs> oh yes, remember that? They were paired with that world-beater Simon Dean. Actually, that stable could be worthy of nomination too, come to think of it. Sticking to the twins, though, they were called Gemini number one and Gemini number two at first because they were that shit that no one bothered to even think to name them individually. Eventually, they became Jake and Jesse, which I'm sure everyone can agree was far more creative. <laughs> So uh, did that actually mean then that Gemini are now supposed to be their surname and not just to play on words? <laughs> what are the odds? Jake Gemini. Your surname is being... an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your surname being Gemini and also being paired with a fitness instructor. How convenient! All they did the entire time they were there was squash jobbers badly on velocity. They had no memorable matches or angles. Their gear was boring black trunks and their theme music could have been easily mistaken from one from a 2006 sea show. Not only were they useless, they were pointless as well. Yeah, do you know, there's a lot of grief going towards the Johnsons here. I think some, some, in some elements, the Johnsons could have been a lot better if they didn't sell so much. That you know, If they'd have given them more balls... <laughs> this is what TNA was all about, you know? This is, this, this is the sole reason. I might as well get to him now here. Martin Bushby on the Facebook page says, It has to be the Dicks. Was there ever a more appropriate name for a tag team? Some kind of hybrid version of Rick the Modern Martel as cars his head in his hands? And the Chippendales, that would have been passe in 96, never mind 2005. The Tolan brothers must have pissed someone off big time to be lumbered with this gimmick. Again, it's all just pro, you know, funny little ha-ha promo fun. It doesn't matter that you know, people's lives and careers are on the line here. Let's just make some fucking jokes, shall we? It did lead to one great backstage promo with uh, Steve Romero interviewing them. And in the end, Steve Romero throws the, uh, the, the, the camera, you know, completely deadpan goes, we're going to find out next week if LOD can beat the dicks. <laughs> and that's it. That little chuckle that you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, that's the reason for this <laughs> entire gimmick. <laughs> that's what their careers amounted Does to. Does that make them more useful than the Truth Commission? It probably does in a way, actually. Well, there you go, then they're disqualified. (laughs) Air Raid on the UK fan form says, For me, it's got to be the WCW 99 incarnation of the first family. Nothing is more symptomatic of WCW's problems at the time than this pile of dross. Oh, God, I forgot about them. (laughs) They were led by the 80s anachronism Jimmy Hart, himself largely irrelevant since the Dungeon of Doom split up in 1997 when Sullivan lost his retirement match to Ted Bundy. Uh, that's probably all you need to know, really. Jimmy was useless enough in the dungeon, giving it with Sullivan's group to lead. And can you even remember what he was doing for two years before the first family started stinking shows up in 99? At a time when WCW was falling badly behind due to its inability to make stars out of its young, vibrant mid-carders and rehashing the same old shit, they put together a superb squad, combined of the old, the shit, and the old and shit. Seriously, think about this. Brian Nobbs, the Barbarian. 
Hugh Morris, and Jerry Flynn. <laughs> the whole is most definitely not the sum of its parts here. I can't imagine a more anemic lineup. And the fact that it's so frequently paired up with Dave Finley, not exactly a beacon of charisma himself, produced some internally boring segments. Best of all, this motley crew was permitted to go over Benoit's mates on the undercard of the pay-per-view that the crippler was jobbing the US title clean to Sid... It's possible that the first family drew my eye on such a level because they're such a strong metaphor for WCW paying attention to the wrong guys when better talent was left to rot. It's equally possible that Nasty Boy's disdain, it should have been power and glory, just fills me with passionate hatred for all things knobs. <laughs> but really, I think there are enough reasons to despise the worst family. Yeah, well, I, I, I had com- I'd managed to cast them completely from my mind. How long were they around? About oh, six months. Yeah, six months or so. Jesus. Because Jerry Flynn then transitioned to those matches in The Block. Remember those? The Block. No. You'll, you'll get to The Block on the timelines down the road then, Liam. Oh, that, that's a treat to look forward to. <coughs> what, what can I honestly say about these people other than their shit? <laughs> 4.99 is the show Air Raid's talking about where they have it's, it's a, you're the revolution right the whole point is they're the next generation Benoit Milenko Saturn the french fries Shane Douglas don't, don't they even don't they cut a promo earlier in the night about they're the future and they're going to start the revolution tonight to then promptly all go out Benoit, and lose Benoit loses to Sid Saturn loses to Rick Steiner and yes Dean Milenko and Shane Douglas lose to Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris Jesus <laughs> useless in the sense of I can't imagine anybody looked at them and said you know what these guys they're going to get over it's that's what we need right now Russo wasn't there yet Russo but Bischoff there. had gone though so is that this is that weird middle ground for about a month month and a half maybe where it's like it's just it's just fucking awful and wasn't I, I may have I may be getting my timelines wrong here but during that period wasn't Sullivan in charge of the book I think he may have been it all starts to make a bit more sense doesn't it were all these guys on contract at the time yes so it's just oh, put together of course they, they were they'd have all been on quite the contracts at Every, the time everybody in WCW was on a contract Ralphus was on a contract where was the other nasty boy Sags well he hadn't been seen since Scott Hall threw the steel chair at his head and concussed him and that was the end of his run Jesus the first family could really have worked if they'd have had the tag team uh, staple in the middle of the nasty boys still <laughs> yeah that, that was the, uh... the, the glue <laughs> <laughs> yeah really the Tully and of this horse <laughs> I think you might have needed to sniff glue for it to make sense <laughs> let's move on now to uh, there's been a name that's been mentioned a couple of times in a row uh, previously so let's get to them now Libertine on the UK fan form says straight from the off the Harris Boys, <laughs> where they were tribute Carlos Valderrama mountain men in suede vest made from Dunelm cushions, suited gangsters in sunglasses from a lucky lucky man on Blackpool Beach, or the only time they play themselves as a racist neo-Nazi biker. They've shitted up every <laughs> ring they ever stepped foot in, and given their huge success and drawing power, akin to The Rock and Austin having a baby, they then get given the creative in TNA. What actual reason do Big Ron and Heavy D have to be alive? To quote the king, their mother wishes he had a headache when they were conceived. And a beast on pro wrestling on his Harris Twins may be the team that had the most runs in big two promotions and did the least with it. And then finally, Power Butchie on the UK platform, (laughs) the author of the great Shane Douglas email from last year, says... I'd rather commit unprotected anal with Anne Whittacombe than sit through the Harris Brothers again. Indeed, I think Big Ron from the market in EastEnders was probably a better wrestler than the Big Ron who stunk up rings for so long. And for a long time it was too, since they first appeared before my eyes on an episode of WCW Worldwide in 1994 like the dog shit of Hades, and they were pretty much continuously in work after that in the Big Two for the next ten plus fucking years. 
I'll be honest, when I was 12 in 97, I thought the DOA were cool as fuck, because I was 12, and I forgot about the Bruce Brothers, and I thought that Renegade was a good TV show, and I <laughs> and that I bought a, mo- a vampire motorcycle starring the cast of Boone, along with a literal talking turd which attacks Neil Morrissey, was a good film. So 12 years old, plus motorcycles equals cool. And somehow, the biking bollock scabs got into my good books, along with their equally abhorrent shit hawk of a cousin, Brian Lee. <laughs> then I turned 13, and realised while bikes and bikers were cool, as Leatherman from the Village People is what every man aspires to look like, Skull and Eight Ball, and their matters with LOD that encouraged ME to develop in viewers, certainly was not cool, and this went on well into 99. Then they appear as henchmen of Vince Russo in WCW. Turns out fuckers are close. Gerald Fitzpatrick and Patrick Fitzgerald. <laughs> now quite like a gay joke. I didn't recognise them at first, they had a shave and their suits on. Then they got in the ring, and the foul stench of their matches... <laughs> The foul stench of their matches when I watched them on DSF almost prevented me rubbing one out to the topless adverts. <laughs> to the topless adverts of The Knack Club during the breaks. This didn't last long and they became the DOA again, only not called the DOA. They joined the most fetid incarnation of the NWO ever, which by the end was them two and Memphis buddy Double J doing H-bombs to all and sundry. The H-bomb was all over WCW in early 2000. They flirted with the top of the card too, heading up the marquee match versus the Mamelukes in front of 15,000 fans in the UK in February, one of the biggest WCW gates of the year, and main eventing Nitro vs Sid. I fucking love Sid, but this was unacceptable. <laughs> Fast forward to 2002, and they, <laughs> and they finally get a job that they're good at. Namely, on their backs under the ring, holding it up with their legs after Cheeks breaks the ring <laughs> prior to end of TNA's first pay-per-view. <laughs> However, the Jarrett's must have been too impressed by this, as Heavy D, named after a brand of pub snack, I believe, is soon put in the cut and thrust of battle against Malice in an SS shirt. <laughs> then they both become the heads of TNA security, but join SEX at the behest of fucking Russo. And to celebrate this, they beat the fuck out of a woman in the ring. Although, they probably saw it as a nice change from beating the blacks, the Jews, and the gays, the fascist fucks. Freshens it up for them a bit. From there, they pretty much fritted away during the Carter years, but a god-awful bout with five Delta Slam sticks in the memory in 2005, and one of them being the bodyguard for Randy Savage in 2004 with Big Brian Adams when Randy Savage was shit-scared of being banged out by Hulk Hogan. Of course, the Nazi cunts are back on the scene now. It looks like they may end up running TNA in the future. Match made in heaven. So yeah, when you lot at the end decide who is the worst ever team or stable and have to give a name, it's gotta be Ron and Don. In fact, if it's absolutely anyone else at all, I'll personally travel to whichever Shropshire or Black County hovel you all fucking live in and force you to watch me bang your significant others like a Salvation Army drummer at a Christmas Carol concert. This surely can be no other choice at all. Twelve years of fucking wall-to-wall shit with liberal doses of extreme right-wing race hate and worst of all those fucking matches with lost bariquas it's Harris or Burst <laughs> uh, yeah fucking A <laughs> uh, despite this is kind of like the opposite of X Factor oh no I mean not X Factor but these are guys who've been around for fucking ever yeah if they never were, were never born does the world change no no, no one misses them. No. There, there, there were some people who came to the defence of them saying they had some good brawls in Smoky Mountain. I've watched my share of Smoky Mountain. I've never seen the, 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 I've never seen one good Harris Brothers match that I've liked ever. This is my pick for the most useless tag team. I, I hate them. Oh, I'm jumping the gun. I hate the Harris Brothers. Yeah. I think they are the most useless, god-awful, just fucking pair of slugs. They're not good workers. They can't throw a punch in their brawlers. And all they can do is punch and kick. Oh, and a side slam occasionally. And they can't do that right. 
again, they are the other half of the awful Truth Commission DOA <laughs> match that I mentioned previously, Gang Rules, which is the shit. Why the fuck are they feuding? Shouldn't they be together going against the Blacks? You, you'd have thought so, wouldn't you? Fucking, there's no continuity in these storylines. When it comes to Ron and Don, this certainly isn't springtime for Hitler. Um... <laughs> Power Butchie sums it up quite nicely, but they're brawlers that can't even brawl properly. They're wrestlers that can't wrestle. They're wrestling that can't wrestle. I suppose they could ride no. a bike. Whether it's as Eli and Jacob, yeah. or in the DOA, or as Creative Control, or, or whatever incarnation they're in, they've always been useless, terrible, whatever word you wish to whichever negative word you wish to use to describe <laughs> them, they're all perfectly apt. It's that longevity of uselessness. <laughs> That's a legacy that for me will put them above the Truth Commission. I, I think they are the new. I, God, I hate to use the word benchmark. It sounds like something you should aspire <laughs> to. They're the a uh, benchmark of uselessness. The new gutter mark. They are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the new gutter sluts. <laughs> Not only are they useless, they were counterproductive because they look too much like Steve Austin with their leather vests and ball Fucking, heavy Yeah, we talked about this on the timeline shows. Yeah. I cannot believe Vince McMahon allowed him on that show when Austin's getting hot when Austin is the pinnacle he's holding that fucking show together he's on like three or four times a show and the Harris boys there as well what the yeah. shit yeah fuck that noise nah they need to, they need to hit the bricks it's the, again it's the fact that they fucking kept they were there to like yo late 98 being yeah. put over like like there's something yeah they put with Paul Ellering that didn't work nothing worked and then yeah. they got hired again in all these different places so, yeah. that is just yeah, I would agree. They are definitely the low watermark. Or <laughs> the awful ECW, which you think that yeah. that environment, if they can't look good in ECW, <laughs> think of the people that Paul Heyman made look good in ECW. Some of the scrubs that came through that neck of the woods, and even that, even nine one one got a pop in exactly. ECW. And these the Harris boys were shit there too. And yeah, now you got to answer to them in TNA. Apparently, really Com- coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We might as well get to them here, actually, as a matter of fact, because not only are they a candidate for the most useless tag team of all time, they are, of course, nominated for the most useless stable as well. Which L- one? LP on Pro Wrestling Goni says, because the Attitude Era was also about Brian Lee and the Harris Boys feuding with LOD 2000, it's got to be DOA. Uh, before that, of course, the immortal matches with Los Bariquas. Michael3165 on the UK fan form says, the DOA shit, shit, shit. A load of ball guys and dirty looking bikers <laughs> that all look the same. Kick, punch, kick, punch. Only ever got a break because Crush was sucking Taker's balls backstage. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hideous. Especially the deal where they went against the Nation of Domination and Savio's gang, who were nearly as shit. And Hank on the FOW board says, the DOA, I'd rather hop on a 10 speed and play chicken with an 18 wheeler than see them on my TV screen again. Actually, it's not a good time to bring in gang wars in general. That, that classic triple threat between Crush, Farouk, oh, and Savio. Oh, God, that match is just oh, the worst. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I mean, no, I'm, and I'll say that because I'm obviously playing it. I don't believe anything I'm about to say. They did get pops in the live, from the live audience. Bunch of rednecks. The Doa. Yeah. The Doa? The Doa. The old Doa constrictor. Squeezing the life out of the ratings. Exactly, right? yeah. But that's the thing, yeah. Like, so ratings uh, and that's it too, yeah. yeah. I forgot to mention, obviously, to your counterproductive argument, Kieran. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's like I say, but uh, the question I was going to raise is were promoters duped? Okay, why? Why do they get the chances? Friends with people backstage? Yeah. Okay. Gotta be. They're big, unique gimmick because they're twins. I can see that. Mm-hmm. But when they're god awful and they've been around so long, how do they keep getting chances? Yes. That's yeah. the thing that's frustrating. Did yeah. li- 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 live pops trick people like. Fucking Russo. Russo would go for live pops. He wouldn't understand. He wouldn't look at the ratings to see their well, fucking this is death. It, That's the thing. We've talked about this before in previous time episodes. There's one of them where we talked about how the the the, uh, 
In 98, in mid-98, the ratings breakdown is the lowest, by far, Skull 8-Ball Chains in <laughs> WWE. It's, it's, it's by miles. They are, they are the low watermark. They're useless. They're absolutely yeah. fucking awful. I remember that, that actually I stopped watching uh, God Pro from about 95 to 99. And then when I got into wrestling again in 99, I went backwards. You know, you'd sort of start watching pay views and try and I remember like people having talked to me about this this gang rule thing. I thought, oh, you know, feuding, you know, different um, factions feuding with each other. And I went back to it, and it was dross. All of it was absolutely awful. But because you liked stables, you thought it was mm. going to be brilliant. You know, on paper, when it, it started. Like, when yeah, it started. I remember that there was a, there's a famous video. They showed some Canadian stampede, but they showed it quite a lot like, during Raw during that period. Where it's like yeah. it's the, the the gang warfare happening in the WWF right now, and it shows you kind of like how how everything comes together. The the bio you know, the, the bike of brawls and stuff like that. It looks like it's a crazy scene. It looks exciting. It's like okay, I can kind of get on board yeah. with this. And then you actually watch it, and it's like, fuck me, like a bad blood again. Another you know Barikos DOA on that show. They just had a parade of awful matches. Yeah. So yeah, I think two strong candidates here so far. Okay, so now it's time to get to a heavy hitter here because we are going to get to the stable that had the most nominations by far for the most useless group in the history of professional wrestling. It's the lads. <laughs> A great bunch of lads. <laughs> DMJ on Pro Wrestling Only says, The League of Nations immediately jumps to mind. ADR and Sheamus weren't exactly hot before teaming up, but this stable put them in three-man band range. Clint the Cripple on the UK Fan Forum says, Four guys that were fairly over on their own, but the crowd could not care less when they were out there together. You know your foreign heel stable is failing. When you have WrestleMania in Texas, and not a single USHN can be found anywhere in that <laughs> crowd in Texas. Kira on TPWW says the League of Nations made the Union look like the Shield. Fuck, oh, damn it. <laughs> Briefcase on UK Fan Forum says the, uh, the stick out to me is four decent individuals that were somehow made to look worse when put together. No chemistry, no unity, no reactions from the crowd, nothing. I think they were only put together so they could fit on the WrestleMania card. I think this one actually wins the discussion. Uh, Noid on TPWW Forum says the LON should get a mention just because of how high profile it was supposed to be. I thought this was going to at least lead to a face turn for, let's say, Rusev. But they didn't really even get to blow it off. Given the stats of the performers in this stable, it might be the most expensive irrelevant faction of all time. <laughs> since they never put Glacier with anybody. Uh, old school icons on WrestlingCorn.com is absolutely useless, just like the real League of Nations from history. Four talented guys <laughs> losing all the time and showing absolutely zero chemistry with a bland theme song. Smelly Meatball on TPWW says, WWE somehow took a stable of mid to upper card heel stars and treated them worse than the social outcasts. Even the way they just suddenly disbanded was weak, considering a couple of weeks later, they're suddenly teaming up in matches. Chief of the Lynch Mob on WrestlingForum.com says, For me, they were probably one of the most pointless and misused stables of the modern era in the WWE. Firstly, the stable was essentially formed to be fodder for Roman Reigns, like many have in the past. Just because of that, they were pretty much DOA. It was summed up by the fact that they failed to beat Reigns in a handicap match on two occasions. They also suffered because both Sheamus and Del Rio were becoming very stale, and the audience's interest in them was waning away every week. After Sheamus and ADR lost their titles, things just got even worse. They all became glorified lackeys for the authority. They then went on to lose in a feud with a new day and split up. After that, you could probably look back on their time together and say that they, as a unit, accomplished absolutely nothing and offered nothing to the product as a whole, apart from being a bunch of guys, a bunch of lads, who Roman could beat up every week. 
God, wait, I'm messing for when it comes to this. I don't think you could ever beat the League of Jobbers as the most useless stable ever. They were randomly paired together, got no heat, Roman squashed them in a month, they were fucking abysmal. Even the guys in the stable knew it was pointless, and when they disbanded, nobody even noticed or cared. Pretty sad considering all the guys were former champions. Yashimar got WrestlingForum.com, we're not done yet! It's the League of Nations by a thousand miles. With Barrett and Rusev, you had two guys that have potential and had been underutilized and completely screwed over by creative. With Sheamus and Delvio, you had two guys who were bland as hell, who couldn't draw flies with shit, and who've been overpushed for years to the tune of multiple failed world title runs between them. Let's look at the facts. These two clowns have a combined eight world title wins between them for a piece. They also have each won a Royal Rumble and a Money in the Bank. The fact that either of these bums has ever won a single world championship is somehow both laughable and horrifying. But the fact they've won the exact same amount of world titles as Shawn Michaels, Brock Lesnar, <laughs> and Daniel Bryan, and won more than Mick Foley, is a swift kick to the nuts. I'd estimate that between them they've probably drawn in the ballpark of $17 for WWE. <laughs> Luke Moore on the Facebook page says absolutely nothing wrong with the concept apart from how cliche the evil foreigner gimmick is, but utterly useless in execution. Did anyone on earth buy a Seamus League of Nations t-shirt? And finally, the angry Scotsman on the F4W board says terrible ring music, terrible t-shirts, and perhaps most damning, a terrible waste of real talent. Sheamus is possibly beyond help by this point, but as a mid-card bully he could have done well when he was repackaged. The WWE version of ADR is unbearably bland, but when you look at his indie run and his Lucha Underground performances, he's clearly a top-level performer. Barrett has been wasted by the company from the moment they decided not to give him the big gold belt during the Nexus run. Has consistently turned shit spots and gimmick into gold, his bad news Barrett gimmick, particularly a good example of the guy's talent, and Rusev, Fucking amazing on every level. Great in the ring, brilliant look, hilarious on promos, and has a great act with Lana in his corner. From his menacing performances in the ring, his WrestleMania moment entrance at Mania 31, and his genius no-selling of Mojo Rawley at Battleground, the guy clearly has it. And yet the company throws these guys together to form a faction whose sole function seem to be as gimps for HBK, Foley and Austin to humiliate at WrestleMania. Oh, God, yeah, Classic God. Vince McMahon booking, he says. So that pretty much runs the gamut on the League of Nations. <laughs> the lads, are they the useless of all time they are quite the clusterfuck a couple of things though one of the emailers said the concept was fine in theory but the evil foreigner gimmick was outdated so surely then the concept itself is flawed as well um, and someone else mentioned the audience's interest in them was waning with every passing week I would argue the interest was never there the blue touch paper was never lit with the group as I said before, it didn't work for Woodrow Wilson. It wasn't going to work for Vince McMahon. <laughs> I'm not going to go. I mean, I, there's a lot to agree with there. But as Carl alluded to, no, he didn't allude to. Fuck, fucking flat said, no one wanted these guys in position near the top on their TV. So when they put them together, thank fuck that they realised, well, fuck this noise. Let's just feed them to Roman. <laughs> okay, that didn't work. But Abort. Yeah, retreat. Abort. Uh, I, I've got to take exception as well to saying they uh, make. The union look good. <laughs> union. Who the fuck did the union ever at least try to put over? What what was the point of the union? Anyone? Come on, because this was my pick. Well, I think the union purely existed for sort of a, a, a one or two weeks. week yeah. storyline purpose. There wasn't really any plan behind them, was there? And let's face it, the game and name the theme song. Look at the trees. <laughs> I, I kind of think it ironic that at one point for at least maybe one episode of Raw they were led by Vince yeah. given the fact that uh, several wrestlers have left the company over the years <laughs> due to the lack of a union <laughs> um, I, d- I do like Rusev as a solo guy Seamus as a mid-card bully yeah I can see that don't, don't give him near the top of the card nice. I, I mean they've got to, I don't mind that, that yeah, if you're going to use him that's an ideal use Del Rio was the dirt worst for me <laughs> 
paid all that money 1.6 million dollars to bring an end to John Cena's US title run which by and large bar one or two bumps had been a good run made it so anticlimactic Every, everything they do with him those well not now but during this that period of time screams of we've got to justify the paycheck we've got to justify the paycheck we'll put him in there with Reigns yeah we're feeding him to Reigns but it's a prominent role we've got to justify the money and how little did he want to be in that group you could see it in his face every time they walked out when they introduced oh, them yeah. when, they, when, they made, when they announced the group and they're at ringside they say from Mexico Alberto Del Rio and he just the look on his face like someone just fucked his mom right in front of his eyes it, it, it's that problem thing you know when they were doing their, their the shitty wave oh the, the hands up the, thing the, 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 you tend to, that you see in, in the Bundesliga every, <laughs> every week as, as, as clubs thank their home fans for their support them doing that and the prime example of Del Rio of me not giving a shit. It's the most most half-hearted sort of Mexican wave you've ever seen in your life. I, I do. I did get a, a, kind of a kick out of watching Del Rio with these fuckers though, because like, as you say, he didn't want to be associated, and he was fucking dead set on making himself stand out. Yeah. So you watch these promos, they come out, and he'd always either walk forward in front of everyone to disassociate himself, or he'd be like standing on the, the middle rope or on, on outside the ring on the, on the middle rope kind of thing. All these little things he'd try and do to stand out as different from those guys not, not associated in that yeah in, in a real dickish way it pissed me off but it was also funny to watch yeah didn't want to, dude didn't want to be there so yeah when you put four guys who have been floundering as much I mean you had almost like it was the complete lack of a pecking order because <laughs> they were all as, lo- as lost at sea as each other um, and uh, we're, we're all just <laughs> shit together <laughs> you, um, you lose it there there's the famous stories from the set of the original Magnificent Seven that's the same it was all these actors oh, you know, they all we'll get to them they all wanted to stand out so much because they were in this sort of like group of actors that all felt they were above each other you get that the sort of thing where these guys were all just trying to get one over on each other but the booking got none of them over on yeah. anything and it was show you motherfuckers. Yeah, it was just an absolutely horrendous set of, of and use of four guys that yeah you know no I wouldn't want to see any of them in the main event if they were separate but they could have at least been helping put other guys over and bring other guys up a little bit with well, you know, did one guy yeah but even that wasn't it effective because they made them look so stupid in the process that yeah, it's just a waste of time, waste of space. Absolutely. I want to get to the union here because Kieran mentioned before they did get a couple of nominations. Snitsky's back acting, he's back in from the UK fan forum. Since it's got to be the union, surely. Mankind, Test, Shamrock, and The Big Show, wasn't it? The only notable, in quotes, moment for Mix. We are the union of people you ought to respect, son. In other words, up yours. Shane, apparently, you know Russo is pissing himself at that one because that's the uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, yeah. union of people up. You ought to respect son. Yours, Y O R S. Ah, Russo, what a creative genius. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> oh, I, I get it. I, I just wish I'd never heard it. <laughs> I feel like it should have popped up on the bottom of the screen, like subtitles as he said it. Like, you be, you are. <laughs> well, you know, during matches now, they have people's tweets. Yes. <laughs> I can just picture it there at, at Vinnie Roo LOL I, I need to see can, is this, does it mean something if you see it written down because it really means nothing to me no here it is okay so live reactions so uh, the union of people you ought to respect son of yours Spelt wrong. <laughs> Spelt wrong. Because yeah, he's a Rhodes Scholar. This is a professional writer. <laughs> Phil Austin on Ferguson. He says the union in the WF and the dudes with the attitude in WCW. Seriously, the top faces forming stables to face off against the heel group should be money. 
but these were just awful, despite having some decent talent. How stable is comprising Mankind, Big Show, Shamrock and Test, or Sting, JYD, Paul Orndorff, Lex Luger, The Steiners and El Gigante can be such forgettable stables is amazing. Well, I can tell you why. <laughs> Please, elaborate. Because why? Well, you see, the why? union the union were all people who had been uh, kind of victimised by Vince McMahon's corporation. So, of course, Vince then leads them out because Vince had turned the, the other cheek. He, you know, he was being a babyface, a good boy at this point. Uh, so, of course, Vince McMahon protecting uh, workers' rights all over his company. <laughs> protecting the rights of those independent contractors. Yes. <laughs> Sincerely, Dawn Marie. Uh, yeah. I don't know about this one. So the union, I, I don't think there was use because again, they, they lasted so they were so short-lived. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think that a, a sustained run of uselessness like the Hams Boys surely beats up yours. I always remember the union being a, a stable on either WrestleMania 2000 or No Mercy. <laughs> At the time, I was thinking, God, you know, they were around two weeks and they managed to get programmed into the game. Yeah. Um, poor Big Show got taken out and replaced by Stevie Richards. Yeah, yeah, that was during the fat count period yeah, of yeah. Big Show. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think I would put these in contention because it was more of a, you know, a short-lived gimmick than it was an actual stable that really. They had matching wood. What, what I would say in their defence, and this is solely because Mick's part of the group <laughs> here we go is that they were part of what was at the time the highest rated segment in Raw history yeah. not, not that this is your life that Russo claims it's a segment at the start of Raw the, your typical sort of talking segment which the union are involved in it also has Shawn Michaels and, and Vince and Shane and the associates Steve Austin but maybe you can give a little bit of room to the union, perhaps. <laughs> I believe it drew over a nine. Oof. I forget the exact number, but it, but it drew over a nine. And, and Mix there. I can't, I can't in good conscience pick a group that Mix involved with. Well, let's see if in good conscience you can pick one that Bradshaw's involved in. Oh, well, uh, let's M- see. <laughs> Mungo Chutney on the UK fan forum says the new Blackjacks. The mm-hmm. Attitude oh. Era was getting underway, and yet they resurrected a gimmick from as far back as the 70s. They may have been trying to get them over as tough guys, but they failed miserably. It's possible a tag team of Wyndham and Bradshaw might have worked with a better gimmick or better booking, but Wyndham was pretty much knackered at this point. Fat. Basically, <laughs> 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 his knees were shot and he was fat. <laughs> Bradshaw wasn't much better either, by the way. BJ on the tights. BJ like, on the tights. But I love I love the fact that their introduction to me was seeing them at WrestleMania 13, where they do the promo saying the Blackjacks ride again, and they go into the forward match and they're the first team out with, like, yeah, with yeah. a double count out or some Jesus. shit like that. They didn't say how long they were riding for. <laughs> it was a short year. They may have meant off into the sunset. Pretty fucking useless. And uh, you wonder with Barry Windham, Barry, let's call you into the office. This stalker gimmick isn't really working. It's not going to take. You, you're kind of floundering, you know, it's just it's just not there. The crowd aren't buying it. So what we want you to do is dye your moustache black, dye your hair jet black. We're going to bring back a tag team from the 70s, which, according to the original Blackjacks, put a lot of asses in the seats. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> if you listen to their Hall of Fame speech, they were fucking Hulk Hogan, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. In between their... Be- fucking Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Hogan. <laughs> well, but- There's a tape for Gorka. <laughs> Well, that's why BJ was on the back of the tights, you see. <laughs> um, Not tops and tails, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if, they, if they were Hulk Hogan, would that have made them the blizzard jizzles? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got to do some. You got to do some nasty things in that tough South Florida neighbourhood just to get by. Yeah. Not race baiting and blowjobs, basically. <laughs> That's a that's a title for a book if ever I've read. Race mating and blowjobs, the Bradshaw story. What the fuck? They take 
the end of the millennium we were approaching, they thought they're going to re- re- resurrect something from the 70s, two dudes with Ron Jeremy moustaches. <laughs> but bearing in mind, this is during the same period where WCW are kicking their ass every week. Although Eddie Guerrero was a ratings mover, so maybe they thought it was all in the moustache. Mmm, possibly. This is also the period... <laughs> this is also the period, though, where they had Farouk in the helmet, they had the Sultan and Rocky Maivia in that blue chipper. Mm. So, they were again, they were, they were misfiring here. But while we're there, while we're talking about segues, uh, and we're talking about old Baza, what about the NWA resurrection? Well, let's get to the end of your resurrection because we did in fact get a nomination from O-Dog on WrestlingFun.com who says definitely the Jim Cornette led NWA into... <laughs> yeah, this isn't exactly a straight out Compton NWA either, by the way. Uh, in terms of usage, I look at it like this. The objective is to get over or get someone else over. This stable didn't either. In fact, the only thing it did was bury what it represented, traditional wrestling. And with Vince Russo's explanation of why they did it, it came off as nothing more than doing something just so you could say, aha, I told you so, when it doesn't work. Which Russo admitted wasn't going to work it's one instance where I completely agree with him I mean he thought Barry Windham Dan Seven for a little while mm. and the new Midnight's wasn't going to work well uh, originally it was no, don't forget Jeff Jarrett and Heel Rock and Roll Express That's, yes Tommy Young as referee for a brief period I like that yeah I like Tommy <laughs> I like Tommy Young but you know Howard Brody and Dennis Corluso waddling down the oh, ramp yeah. to start the whole thing that, that at least had that great segment we've talked about before where Jared's given the NWA title and you just hear the crowd building up in the background <laughs> as, <laughs> as Austin steamrolls in, <laughs> stunners Jared and does the deliberately worst strut you've ever seen before, flipping him off and walking out the ring. What a way to kill an angle at the start. <laughs> like, it never had a prayer anyway, but that just completely cemented it in place. The NWA revival. I mean, off the back of Jim Cornette's great promos at the end of 97 as well, and this is the segue. I don't even know what they were hoping this was going to be. Was it, as Russo said, if it was except failed was it the because oh, obviously Russo he only has at the start yeah but I've, with the new era the new guy the new the new attitude of professional wrestling come in and piss on subliminally not even subliminally piss on the NWA mm. because it's Austin and the NWA is old and no one likes it because yeah. they smell Roots are, are southern yeah exactly it's also like a subliminal knock at WCW right? yeah exactly that, yeah. that's what I was really that asking. Yankee really bastard I'm, I'm right in thinking, though, that the Cornet promos were never supposed to lead to this original. No, Cornet, of course not. Cornet was just doing the promos. Yeah. I'm not going to say it was a game changer for the company or anything, but something that I enjoyed. That you know, there was a bit a bit of fun too. You know, who doesn't love a good Cornet rant at the best of times? All oh, that works. How can we sully this? <laughs> How can we, yeah, turn this into well? Just look at the way that it, they, they ended it. You know, they just kind of dropped the name, dropped the belts. They put Bart and Bob in the bullfrog against each other, and that was the end of that, pretty much. Did those belts ever get defended? They did, yeah. They, they switched hands a couple. I think the headbangers won them. Really? Yeah, headbangers yeah, got them. Can't remember yeah. that. No, it was on. It was on With good reason. Yeah, <laughs> you watched it recently too. You yeah. still can't remember it. No. Uh, o dog on WrestlingFun.com yeah, has another no. one here. It says, from a tag team perspective, the Colossal Kongs. For those who don't know, they are a tag team of masked super heavyweights, easily 6'5 and 400 pounds each, that were managed by Harley Race. This was around 1993, and I'm not sure if it was even intended to work, but it was rendered useless pretty quick upon their debut, where they lost to Sting and Ric Flair at a clash of the champions. Again, I look at it as getting over or get someone else over. Sting and Flair didn't need to get over. They lasted for maybe six months, and in that time beat a bunch of random jobbers with only two losses between them. The squash matches against jobbers means nothing when you lose in your debut to the two top babyfaces in the company. Nowhere else to go but down and eventually out of the company as nothing more than a distant memory and I do have memories of the Colossal Kongs because uh, they were on worldwide quite a bit and in squash matches 
that lasted about 30 seconds because they were fuck awful. I was going to say, to me, that's, that's an excellent example of a useless tag team because I have no recollection of them whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, so basically, they, they, were, they were kind of aligned with Vader and Sid because of the Harley race but poor Harley race by the way during this period you get Vader but on the downside you got the you know Sid who's just going to go on a rampage Yoshi Kwan <laughs> and, uh, and these two these two fat bastards the Colossal Kongs uh, King Kong and Awesome Kong I believe they were, they were individually speaking not King- the Awesome Kong okay, there's got some kind of fucking lawsuit and making image rights thing on there yeah. you'd think so but uh, again they, they were awful it says like 6'5 400 they were, they were, not, they were like 5'10 they looked like stumpy little fuckers fucking fur coat wearing get a couple more heavy hitters on the useless stables front here Otto Dem Vons on the UK fan forum says the million dollar corporation what a heap of shite we all know 1995 was the nadir of the WWF and with this firm of gimps uh, taking up television time and feuding with the top faces that year it's not hard to see why look at the state of that lineup. Ted DiBiase, Nikolai Volkov, Bam Bam Bam. <laughs> Nikolai Volkov with hair. <laughs> Bam, Bam Bam Bigelow, IRS, Fake Undertaker, Tatonka, King Kong Bundy, Karma, Santa Claus. Uh, Ed Harris on the Facebook page says the Million Dollar Corporation was sort of one of the things that killed my interest in wrestling during the first stage of my fandom. DBRC was surprisingly bad as a manager. His best guy was Bigelow, who was wasted in a feud with LT, and that feud with Undertaker went on for about as long as his average entrance does these days. It kills me because Bigelow was always a guy I dug, and yet, something with him ended up being the thing that made me say, screw this, I need a break from this nonsense for a while. Uh, the Reverend on the UK Fan Forum says it could have, should have been good having a stable managed by the Million Dollar Man, who in my opinion could have been a top heel manager as good as Bobby Heenan. Sadly, by the time it rolled around, Ted was even more cartoony and there wasn't much to choose from in the Federation to make his stable up. And Mr. LaSalle on Pro Wrestling only says the Million Dollar Corporation was so boring it was useless due to the apathy of it all. Yeah, when uh, when we first raised the idea of this topic, this is always one that immediately comes to mind. Possibly because of the time frame as well and sort of the dross that was like 90, 94 and 95 WWF I mean you look at the cast of characters in there you know, Mr. Five himself King Kong Bundy <laughs> Karma the Supreme Boring Machine <laughs> Nikolai Volkov with I, I think I said hair I was referring specifically to the moustache I believe he had at the time I like the great sense and the singlet the, 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 well, the shitty singlet well, like the suit with the scent sign instead of a oh, dark sign <laughs> he was poor with DPS, he was bringing him in as a bum yeah, I mean, including the Jerry yeah. Lawler line of that he's, he's got a suit for every day of the week and there it is <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, you know, it's a poor use for someone like Bigelow as well or Bam Bam you know a s- Sid was in there so yeah the Tonka the Tonka heel to Tonka trail of tears to Tonka yeah. turns on his good buddy Lex <laughs> <laughs> one two three kid one, at the two, end one two three kid towards the end yeah. oh good grief <laughs> yeah. yeah awful awful and let, let's not forget under Faker as well. Yeah, he was in there. He got you got a mention. I this is like yeah. I mean, we talked about this before on the the night five um, rebooking podcast we did some time back about how weak the company was on heels, and the end of ninety four is one of the all time low points in company history. Where you got Yoko, who's kind of burned out anyway. Backland. The, the, this fucking group of slugs, King Kong Bunny, who pins Lex Luger clean, pretty much the Survivor Series. Yeah, that's the thing. You look at how weak the roster is, and they decide to revert back to the five on five for Survivor Series. <laughs> so you got the, you know, we, we talked before about the uh, the Teamsters versus uh, the bad guys. Oh yeah, the Teamsters. Uh, you know, and and specifically in terms of the Million Dollar Corporation, you got Guts and Glory. 
Okay, so who's next? The Smoking Guns, Mabel, Adam Bomb, and of course... Lex Luger. Flexi Lexi himself. Yeah. Against the esteemed team of the two fat bastards, King Kong, Bundy, and Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> Tatanka. Tatanka. And the, and the not in the Million Dollar Corporation, Corporation Heavenly Bodies, <laughs> who were great. <laughs> the email had touched on there how surprisingly poor they thought DiBiase was as a manager for yeah, the group, was, which, which I agree completely. Mm-hmm. Considering how much I liked DiBiase as a wrestler and liked his promos as, a, as the Million Dollar Man when he was wrestling, what do you think DiBiase was worse at from a transition point, manager or commentator? Because uh, I think he was pretty hideous in both roles. I think he was an awful commentator. Again, it's kind of an unfair barometer because of what he had to work with as a manager. Yeah, true, I suppose it, that's fair. It's not like he had a great deal of credibility he's trying to put over, you know, some of these fucking losers. You're suggesting that, ironically, the tax man wasn't bringing home the bacon? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and the, yeah. It, it brought down everyone who worked with it, felt like. Taker was just fucking slugging it for years. Was Russo uh, Vic Venom at this point? He was Vic Venom. <laughs> so he may have got the idea for SCX of throwing in a bunch of disparate assholes. <laughs> And here's another little fun fact. In the entire time they were together, this this group never held a single belt. Well, <laughs> sometimes it's about bigger things than championships, Lynn. Yeah. We'll move on here to a, a stable that's uh, not exactly illustrious in its own right here. The Cabinet. <laughs> not J-Tab on Pro Wrestling only says, when a stable is so rubbish you have to Google what it was called, you know they weren't exactly memorable. But that was the case, and I just had to go to JBL's Wikipedia page to find out that his band of lackeys was called The Cabinet. JBL wasn't exactly setting the world alight in his title run, that's for fucking sure. Uh, <laughs> so I've no idea why they thought adding Orlando, Jordan and the Bashams at his side would help anyone. The only thing memorable about The Cabinet was that John Cena needed to lose the US title before J- facing JBL at Mania, with the net result that the biggest star in post-millennium WWE ended up losing a title to Orlando Jordan (laughs) (laughs) to put the lameness of the cabinet in perspective they were sort of feuding with Kurt Angle's rubbish stable of himself Mark Jindrak and Luther Reigns and it was Kurt's boys who looked more credible just a waste of time Uh, Von Shogun 09 on the UK fan form says JBL's cabinet was pretty shit JBL Orlando Jordan the Basham brothers and Amy Webber I actually quite like JBL's chicken shit title reign once I got over the initial shock of underwhelmingness seeing fuck Bradshaw was a main eventer, but to saddle him with this shower of shite? I think Amy Webb was alright in her role as valet eye candy, but the rest, ugh. Orlando Jordan was crap, and the Bashams probably deserve a mention for this thread on their own, I reckon. I used to read that they, especially Doug, were great in OVW. I never saw their OVW stuff, but they were cack when they got to the big dance. Literally all I remember of their run is them standing in the background during JBL's promos, and that angle where the big black woman who managed them for a bit, I can't even remember her name. Shaniqua. Yeah, <laughs> Linda Miles. <laughs> Nor am I asked to look it up. She took a hard clothesline and her tits grew from the swelling, definitely not the boob job she'd just had. JBL being the cowardly heel he was, it made sense for him to surround himself with henchmen to protect him and run interference in his matches if need be. But why would the world champion use a bunch of jobbers? Yeah. Flair had Tully and Arn, JBL had the fucking Basham's awful stable. Seeing that, Kurt Angle knocking around with Luther Reigns and Mark Jindrak around the same time wasn't much better. 2004 Smackdown wasn't the best, was it? And uh, Matt Pat 11 on the FOW board to wrap this up says, not only was it awful just on its merits, it was never really explained why Bradshaw was suddenly the President of the United States <laughs> and required the cabinet. Uh, doesn't sound as outlandish as the idea of Donald Trump as President, to be topical, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, yeah, talk about three absolute no-marks. <laughs> Did... Uh, I was trying to remember because I'm not sure I've got the chronology right. Didn't this come after the Bashams with Shaniqua? Yes, it did. So that they, in in the, 
Yeah, because the group as as a whole is terrible anyway. <laughs> but to sort of compound things, you're taking a tag team that were into yeah. some sort of fetish gimmick and just giving them a complete 180. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, as the secretaries of defense <laughs> with yeah. sod written on their titles yeah. to the Kill Bill ripoff theme was awful. And of course, Orlando Jordan as the chief of staff, which had to be an inside rip. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like Freddie Mercury naming his band Queen. You know? Well, <laughs> yeah, we all know whose rib OJ been playing to get that one. <laughs> Yeah, a, a, a hideous group for what was a pretty hideous time on SmackDown back then. Yeah, was awful. Man. Yeah. was yeah. around during this uh, time. The, the, the Mordecai days... around that period. Is it, is yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, Bob Holly was still around. <laughs> uh, uh, Kenzo Suzuki and Renee oh, Dupree. Yeah. Uh, uh, I down just the tickler. At one point that entertained the idea of, of Booker T being a Papa Shango-like yeah. character for a feud with Undertaker. Yeah. That, but yeah, the, the days of the SmackDown Six seemed oh so long ago in comparison to this. And I completely forgot about the group of Angle, Luther Range, and Jindrak as well. Yeah. Team Angle, this is not. <laughs> <laughs> How long was Amy Webber in this group? She wasn't there long. She she was there for for a, a cup of coffee before Randy Orton's. Uh, hey. Was that the one? That, that was the, the one. In the bag. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. The voices told him to. <laughs> I think that the um, the feedback definitely made the best point there though is that. You had a champion in JBL who had been pushed up and thus was shaky on, on his legs anyway because yeah. people had to buy him as uh, this massive change. And you then just surrounded him by a bunch of absolute... No marks, as you said it best. <laughs> it you just know. compounds yeah, the problem. It does, yeah. It, just, it all <laughs> seems even more stupid. They tried to push them as credible. Like, I remember they had, like, OJ in a long, long match with Chris Benoit, the yeah. Great American Bash, and won. Yeah, yeah. fucking yeah. Pyham on WrestlingForum.com says my vote for useless tag team goes to the Young Stallions. They just seem like something that Vince threw together because they were both young, muscular, and good-looking. The kind of <laughs> the kind of thing Vince dreams about. But they went nowhere. And others. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, God, that seems like your cue. If Actually, uh, yeah, they, they were they were pretty fucking terrible. Well, anything with Paul Rome is pretty fucking terrible. Come on, he was with Shawn Michaels on that team. <laughs> oh, compared hey. and, and Ric Flair is still jealous. Let's <laughs> 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 not forget that. I, I mean, the more striking thing to me is the fact that Jim Jim Powers was still employed by the company well into '93. I thought I, I thought he died before then. But and not only that, but he actually managed to land one of those famed WCW contracts well into '97. Yeah, but that's not as difficult as it seems. The more you look into it, yeah, complete, completely generic team put together purely for the sort of the, the physique and the, the quote-unquote look. And, and and for a little while, they actually got a bit of a push. We, we've talked before about how much we enjoyed the. Um, the sort of the larger tag team Survivor Series matches where you've got the, the, the ten on one side, ten on another. They survived in that first one. Yeah. Just they as were the a, killer just, bees. Just as a joke. Them and the killer bees. The British Bulldogs didn't survive yeah, no. who'd had the tag belt. Strike force who were the champions at the time, I think. Ju- just won they them, had the won them not long last, before. And they they didn't make it. They didn't make it either. The young Stallions did. The first Royal Rumble in eighty eight to go against um Bunkhouse Stampede that's remembered for the famed Hogan-Andre contract signing for the, the big main event, the one that Duggan wins the 20-man Royal Rumble. The last match on that show, Young Stallions against the Islanders. Headlined. In a two out of three falls match. Yeah. 
I'm always good to they didn't bring Bill and Ted in for a year. Oh, you, oh I stole my joke. <laughs> Fuck you, you fucksucker. <laughs> God damn it. We waited patiently me and Kieran to steal that. <laughs> on that high note, we go to Blizzard Acolyte on the F4W board who goes to La Familia. It's arguable that Edge could have gotten tons more heel heat by being associated uh, in anything other than that clown show. As it was, everyone involved just made me question why I bothered with WWE at the time and every angle involved in them gave me faint echoes of Planet Jarrett. Um, <laughs> Honourable mention goes to Hawkins and Ryder, hands down the most pointless tag champ Smackdown ever had. They won like one match prior to winning the titles, never, never even developed a double team finisher. Uh, when, like, the, when the fuck did they win the tag belts? Oh, it was on like Grand American Bash 2008 or some show like that. I don't know why I remember that off the top of my head like that, but I do. Really? Yeah. I remember, wow. Jesse, I remember Jesse and Festus being involved, it was like a four way or something like that. Anyway, they lost their titles on their first defence. They were meant to be edge flunky, sure, but then why have them be champs in the first place and not have them go the chicken shit heel run? As it was, they weren't competent or interesting in that role either. Garbage, my least favourite tag team of all time. Garbage. Garbage, hot garbage. So this is the uh, the edge, Vicky Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, Hawkins and Ryder. I think Bam Neely was there for a, a, a cup of coffee yeah. as Chavo's bodyguard or something like that. They, they weren't together that long, really. They, they were they around for ages. It's Smackdown, you know, was, was circling the drain at this, at this stage. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. Um, I understand what, he, what he's saying about, about um, Hawkins and Ryder, and I completely agree when it comes to those two specifically. I wasn't that bothered by it, really, in the sense of it. At least Vicky Guerrero was always a, you know, a surefire heat magnet, and I'd much prefer heel edge over babyface edge. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't think them as a pairing were a terrible pairing, really. And Chavo was just someone there to take a bit of a beating, as, as much as far as I saw it. So, yeah, they're, they're not a great. I'm not going to say they're a great. So I'm not going to advocate them to be on a Mount Rushmore of a stable. <laughs> but uh, you know, when we're talking about the uselessness of the likes of Ron and Don, they uh, yeah, they they they, they don't quite uh, scrape the bottom of the barrel in the same way that those two do. But I will say that in terms of a stable devaluing one guy I yeah. thought that Ed I thought this kind of lowered Edge's stock more than it helped it well, also, when he said about his I did not like him with Vicky I thought that just in general I would say devalued it made him a bit of a parody it took the Edge away from Edge okay he's gone from banging later to that it, it tied into the, to the idea of the, they, they were pushing the, the you know the ultimate opportunist, weren't they? And, you know, yeah. But I wasn't a particularly big fan of the Edge Undertaker feud anyway. To be honest, I thought that considering how uh, what that looked like on paper as a potentially interesting match, that you kind of like thought about for maybe like a year or so, like in advance. Like, ah, you know, Edge was undefeated at WrestleMania for a while. Maybe they can do him and Taker in the future, something like that. It was kind of like a natural pairing, Edge and Taker. But it, for me, it never really it never really clicked. I'm I'm not sure I put that so much on the. On the stable, though, just I'm speaking just me personally yeah. in the sense of they did make, know, quite, made a bit more bush league with these bunch of fucking losers again, you know. Yeah, I, I, I suppose you're probably right there, but I, I just I wasn't I wasn't keen on on the feud in theory. I, I was sort of sick of the Undertaker and really wanted to see see him disappear for for quite a while. <laughs> so that thing with Vicky as well. It's like okay, yeah, there's a heat thing, nice little gimmickry with uh, the opportunist bullshit, but it just yeah devalued him. He's not. A true star, if you try to, it wouldn't do that. No. It's a good little thing on on the transition to get over. But once he's there, he should be. He should have the whole world sucking his dick. Yeah. Not him have to tickle everyone's balls to or stay at the top kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting into one now that might be a little bit controversial, lads. The Mean Street Posse. 
<laughs> Mario on the FW boards is a funny idea in one segment which parlayed itself into an 18 month run in the WWF even then they weren't released we got sent to developmental for years as if that would change anything they weren't good workers they weren't good promos they didn't have the look they weren't over they had no redeeming qualities whatsoever nobody could ever possibly have cared about them for a microsecond just two of Shane's real life buddies living the life and a random geek to carry them in the ring the most worthless useless waste of roster space on the hottest time in the WWF's history even some of the worst implemented stables had guys in them that could maybe deliver a decent match or had a superstar look or could have been something uh, with better booking the trio of Rodney Pete Gass and Joey Abs could have been replaced by any three fans off the streets and nothing would have been lost largely because two of them were just random guys they couldn't work couldn't talk couldn't bump couldn't sell they were over not intimidating compelling or entertaining and yet they got TV time tag title matches and a recent 1999 Smackdown I watched even got to beat down mankind <laughs> maybe they didn't have a main event ceiling maybe they were just lower card goofballs but individually and as a unit they were without a single effective use now with that said I've now written far more than any one man shared ever about the Mean Street Posse. I'm I'm going to respectfully disagree with the email on this one. I love the Mean Street Posse. <laughs> I join Carl. And, and, and what I listed there as many of their perceived weaknesses, I would consider you know, strengths in a perverse way because because of the way they were portrayed. They were portrayed as Shane's friends who don't really deserve to be there. Who are these you know affluent spoiled shits who've got no right to be there? So the fact that they weren't great wrestlers and weren't necessarily yeah. the best bumps I think all all meshed in quite well in a sense and it was always and who, funny when they had to shake it down by the acolytes yeah. and, yeah. that, and that's what the, you know, that's what they were there for they were, yeah. they were whipping boys and, and they were treated as such yeah maybe they maybe it sort of went a little bit long perhaps but even then what are they doing they're wrestling on on heat when it's a real B show and uh, and metal and, and shows like that. so it's not as if they're devaluing the product it's not as if they're taking up too much precious TV time from a Steve Austin or someone like that I have no problem with the posse and you know, who doesn't love the posse on the couch at SummerSlam yeah. who doesn't love, <laughs> love that love leave a match no I'm afraid we're going to have to agree to disagree there in terms of useless their use was being crash test dummies well, it's very simple Vince was the main eventer and he had the he had Patterson and Briscoe Shane was Mikard Mikard and he had the posse yeah that's all you need to know. Had his own lackeys. That's all you need to and know. Actually, the, the the time they did the uh, Patson and Briscoe versus Mean Street Posse match on Raw oh, was ridiculously heated, considering yeah. who was involved. Yeah. So again, okay, in terms of no one ever caring, I, again, slight disagreement there. I think that the Posse had their place. Yeah. Low, low as it was, they had their place. Yeah. Uh, Stevie G, nineteen eighty, on the UK fan forum says there's some real lower card teams that were awful. Some have been already mentioned on the forums, like Well Done and Techno Team Two Thousand. But there's always the Ding Dongs, the Master Blasters, the Super Destroyers, the Sword conduct and state patrol but I always couldn't stand the Bolsheviks Volkov's awful punches and kicks and Zukov's giant head couldn't believe they put them over the Bulldogs when the Bulldogs were on the way out <laughs> surely there's a better team to give that rub to and why put Slick with them when the hell did the Bolsheviks go over the Bulldogs it was in the I think it's the final month before uh, Rightful Survivor Series Oh, Carl's face dick. is just contorted. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with this. I've I, Nikolai Volkov is awful. He was awful in mid south in '84 when I when I got into that and thought, well, maybe you know he was better when he was younger. No, he was always awful. His punches and kicks are always the shits. You know, they say the more you know. I'd rather have lived in blissful ignorance than heard that. <laughs> that's you know. That they beat the bulldogs. That's just that tears me up inside. 
<laughs> that, that's like when you're a kid and you hear Father Christmas isn't real. Yeah. It's like being popped in the face by Jacques Rougeau, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even make sense yeah. in their own context in terms of they were a pair of Russians who sing the national anthem and Slick is there managing them yeah. the whole time. I, I think that there's no debate here to be had over whether or not they as a team are useless. Oh, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty cut and dried. Individuals well, are useless. What, what would be an interesting debate is which is the more useless individual? Of the two, yeah, okay. uh, you know, it's a race to the bottom. But who's getting there first? Okay, I think Volkov takes it because Zukov had a run with Rick Martel in the AWA that wasn't too awful. They had some cage matches. <laughs> well, this, this is almost like my my sales pitch the other week from uh, who's it? Seamus or Jack Swagger? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's what this is, though, isn't it? It's, it's the hobo in the alley argument that you mentioned, Kieran, last week. Halty, you were here last week. I'll ask you this question. Okay. You're in an alleyway, abnormally large hobo. He's going to force you into sexual activities. You can swallow his load, or you can. That's Zukov. You can take it up the old uh, back passage. That's Volkov. Earhole. Ear. Ear. You, you do have big ears. Hobo stream. <laughs> hobo buffet. <laughs> I believe they like to call them soup kitchens. Project Humanoid on the FWE board with another stable nomination here says the York Foundation. What? <laughs> it was at a time when computers were gaining in popularity but weren't mainstream enough to be completely understood. So the, the entire idea was that Alexandra York would be able to turn a ragtag group of castoffs into a dominant force with her wicked computer magic. And how do we make them bad? We stop shortening their names. Terry Taylor became Terence and he's joined by Richard Morton and Thomas Rich. They still lost frequently, though, so maybe the whole thing was a cautionary tale about the dangers of thinking that technology will solve all of your problems. Sneeze an upgrade. <laughs> it still gets my vote for that horrid, long Richard Morton versus Robert Gibson match at Great American Bash 91. Wait, Robert Gibson? Not Bob, Bobby, Rob, or Robbie Gibson? Is that why he always let Morton get the crap kicked out of him in their matches? Was he a heel all along? <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> His cross eyes suggest he was. <laughs> What's a smack in the face with that group in particular <laughs> is heel Ricky Morton. Oh yeah. Surely, oh, yeah. surely that makes no fucking sense to anyone. What What's Ricky Morton's biggest strength? His ability to sell the white meat baby face, the sympathy you can elicit from a crowd with Ricky Morton's pained expression, which is normally just his usual face because he's ugly. <laughs> But but he's Robert next Gibson's he's next to Robert Gibson. So, so 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 the comparison, you know, I'm sure the rats will attest to this. <laughs> that's his biggest strength. That in fact the, the tag team specialist with Robert Gibson. So we'll take him away from his tag partner, which dilutes him in the first instance, and then we'll make him a heel. Yeah. So there's no selling. But he's still going to stay in his rock and roll garb. Yeah. He's not going to upgrade. <laughs> like despite the fact that his name has, has been elongated here and it's a computer so they're going for the business gimmick no, no. still here looks is. like a fucking 17 year old going to a poison concert the, I didn't mind it so much when IRS was doing it as Michael Wall Street <laughs> it's like one of these like shitty wrestling gimmicks that kind of, you can't get like a little bit of a warm spot you know yeah. it's like yeah, it's, it's kind of like IRS for you halter yeah. it's actually the same guy funny enough <laughs> Wall Street is like you know the guy who you know Terry Reynolds obviously Alexandra York this is the people where she's saying you know that the laptop the computer says that you can beat him in 14 minutes or less and the whole big thing was can the wrestlers beat the computer <laughs> this was around a period where the first time um, uh, I can't remember who it was but they built a, a computer that was able to be a grandmaster at chess was it Alan Sugar 
<laughs> I don't think it was. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I don't actually hate the gimmick. I agree with the fact that the people they put in the in the stable was Tommy that bitch, was wrong. Yeah, and they didn't give them Talk a proper do over. <laughs> <laughs> on the UK fan form says for stables it has to be the No Limit Soldiers led by Master P. Booty who? The absolute worst, <laughs> and most pitiful on every level. Obviously, they were dreadful to watch for wrestling fans. They were probably the most cringeworthy act ever. Basically, a rabble of illiterate half-wit squealing hooty who. <laughs> there couldn't possibly be any appeal for fans of any age, far less southern hillbilly ones. Uh, they had to have been utterly disastrous for business. That arsehole who'd led them had about two appearances in which he, along with Bischoff, rambled a power of nonsense uh, and was probably paid more for it than most of the wrestlers were for their whole year's work. Now, I can barely even remember the members apart from them wasting Rey Mysterio and to a lesser extent Brad Armstrong. There was a tall one, a fat one, and a musclehead white one, all of whom I'm pretty sure were untrained. Conan was in amongst them too, but he fitted in perfectly. Uh, the, roided, <laughs> the roided guy used the all over worldwide and was only memorable to me for having a dropkick that made Virgil look like Jim Brunzel. Uh, if you ever wanted an example to highlight just how insane the golf was at the time and how doomed WCW were, you need only look at the No Limit Soldiers. How can you explain why they were ever a thing. The only non-negative thing I can say about them is that at least when it came on, chances were the West Texas rednecks wouldn't be far away, <laughs> so there'd be at least some fun in the segments, however embarrassing those dribbling idiots were. I guess you could point to the fact that they were short-lived, therefore insignificant in the grand scheme of things compared to teams and factions who stunk up our TVs for years on end. But they were that bad, and it really must be stressed that their hooty-hoo bullshit genuinely is about the lamest, most excruciating thing I've ever come across in the world of wrestling. Come on, Carl. Give us another hooty hoo, Carl. Well, not that I wish to put a cherry on the shit Sunday that he might have thrown in there, but uh, he, he talked a lot about money. Oh, yeah. Liam, I know, just to, again, to compound things, you've got an idea on what Master P was paid. 200 grand a shot. 200 grand a shot. And, and. Swole. His, his relative, Swole, who had not wrestled since 1991, I believe. 400,000 a year? 400 grand a year. And did nothing, <laughs> did nothing to, to merit it. Chase Tatum was 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 another fucking scrub who was the uh, musclehead guy that was referenced there. Four by four, who who was also in the other abysmal, useless group of Harlem Heat two thousand with Big T and Stevie Ray. <sighs> yeah, I mean th- this was uh, this what and poor uh, Rey Mysterio <laughs> is like in this group. Oh, Brad Armstrong is B A. Yeah, is is it any wonder at this point that they decided to shit Cam Bischoff? Yeah, I mean Jesus. This, this one, yeah, this was the period when he was bringing in like any like you know, Master mainstream, P, yeah, Kiss, mainstream, Megadeth, yeah. all that stuff. Rod- Rodman post Bulls career. Yeah, the amount of money that <laughs> they were paid the to be so awful is something that really grates on you. Um, like the email I touched on there, though, there is one ray of hope. There is one little beacon on the horizon, and that is whenever you saw them. You were sure to see the West Texas Rednecks and rap is crap. <laughs> that was great. That was wonderful. Yeah. The only redeeming feature of that entire sorry mess, which also <laughs> which also incorporated at times DJ Ram. Yeah. <laughs> it was all up in your face, apparently. Were you like your nuts? <laughs> all up in your face while the Georgia Dome boom out the building. <laughs> rap is crap. This one is going to end this show. I've decided. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Vastardakai on TPW's next candidate is the Dynamic Dudes. Two radical guys that made people not give a single solitary shit about yeah. them. Uh, Jim Cornette couldn't help them as their manager, and the Midnight's turning on them gave them bad reactions. It didn't help that Shane Douglas already had issues with being up his own ass, not wanting to do Memphis shit with Cornette. That wouldn't have gotten them over more as babyfaces. 
Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas, the dynamic dudes. Well, again, for a start, it's, it's a terrible disposition to put Jim Cornette in as babyface. I can't call them the most useless. If, if for no other reason than we got such wonderful things as Johnny sucks Shane's dick. <laughs> the Philadelphia crowd. From the, Phil- the Philadelphia crowd. So there's at least some enjoyment to be had there. Not to mention the John Laurinaitis days of uh, people power and CM Punk with that video compilation <laughs> of Johnny Ace's greatest hits. You know, with, without the dynamic dudes... Uh, dudes? Dudes? <laughs> I'm trying to fit in with them there. But without the dynamic dudes, you don't get some grade A, real horrible bullshit to remind him of. <laughs> and hold for, against him? Absolutely. And for that reason alone, I can't put them as the most useless. <laughs> okay. Dastardly Dale Newstone on TVWW forums says, and this is a bit of a shocker, the Brothers of Destruction. You had Midlife Crisis Biker Taker <laughs> and Kane, who in 2001 was already stale. I know Old Man Jones will be the first to discredit Kane, but in 2001, Kane could work a very quick style and was totally wasted with Taker, who was fat and out of shape, probably doing some of the worst work of his career. All that team was good for was seemingly ensuring everyone kept in line with the pecking order, as they never actually put over any of the younger teams nor did they really put over any top guys. It was your classic bullshit, old-school carny garbage you'd see with the likes of Bad News Brown. They never jobbed, but they also never really won against anyone of note, so nothing was accomplished by them being together. I get the novelty of two strong, badass characters being paired together, but think about all the times they made them much more over, more fresh TLC tag teams look weak. Think about what they did to DDP and Canyon, plus their match with Chronic, who were a, different, yeah. a whole different useless tag team altogether. I think it had a lot to do with The Undertaker, as I do see Kane as a fairly selfless performer, but their performances as the Brothers of Destruction were useless, self-serving, and more importantly, lame as fuck. Kane and the two together peaked in 98. Yes. So, fuck them. Yeah. I, I think that The Undertaker must be the next person we do a trial on. Yeah, please don't say that. I, I really, really want to do a trial with me prosecuting Taker for, for, being, for just comparing the good against the bad in his career and seeing if he deserves the kind of the fond memories that people have of him. God, he has so many prolonged periods of filth, and this is one of them. The Brothers of Destruction, aptly named for destroying so many hopefuls, so many people that could have been more, put them all in their place because they hadn't paid their dues. They hadn't shook hands. Said mean Mark, who sucked. I don't want him had the temerity to use a palm pilot. <laughs> yeah, DDP, what do you ever do? When you, when you look back on, uh, on Taker's career, the highs really weren't that high in comparison to other people's high water marks, and the lows were some of the really, really dirt worst lows. But this, but this period in time is right up there. He is insufferable as he's steamrolling yeah. every member of the Fat alliance bastard. in sight. You know, the the alliance have got enough problems in this storyline. Yeah, from a, from a creative standpoint, from a booking standpoint, without him just making things ten times worse by burying the people he's in the ring with and <laughs> going around and telling be, people he can't yeah, work and, and actively making sure that others who may have at least added some freshness to the stories are sent off to either Heartland Wrestling Association or OVW in some cases never to be seen from again and as for Kane it's Kane <laughs> didn't they have a feud b- briefly with um, was it Rikishi and Haku yeah 
What were they, didn't they have like some really offensive racist name? Like I'm sure I, I remember Paul so. Heyman saying something like the Brothers of Destruction versus the Brothers of the Jungle or something <laughs> like that. I can't, it's, it's, yeah, I, I just I remember this period exactly as Carl said, just being absolutely frustrating to watch. Yeah. You know, like guys that would come in and you never really even got a chance to know if they were any good or not because they never got to do <laughs> anything. You know, like Undertaker <laughs> told you they wasn't. So I'm sure Taker take should have gone back and said you didn't work rather than you can't work because <laughs> it's not like anyone got to do anything yeah. with all the offense DDP got the king of the ring yeah <laughs> oh god that was it was a little unsanctioned meeting or something like that <laughs> was don't, don't forget SummerSlam as well the oh. burial in the cage oh yeah where yes. Can- Canyon is allowed to leave so he continues to kick the shit out of DDP on the mm. road and he does <laughs> and leaves that fucking Diamond Dallas page yeah they, they the really- chronic match is Worthy of a, a podcast all of its own. Oh, that is just an absolutely putrid match. Uh, move to another tag team here that's in contention. James Proctor on the Facebook page says, Low down. A perfect example of creative having no idea what to do with two lower mid-carders and deciding to lump them together as a tag team. They wore tracky bottoms, for goodness sake. Why was Tiger Alley Singh their manager? One of them was cutting up uh, with prosthetic tits a year before this. All of a sudden, he's a Sikh? Worst of all, they broke up the headbangers because of this. There was hardly anything of theirs on YouTube. Thankfully, history seems to have forgotten them. And then Akira on TPWW also says low down. It's sad because when they were put together, they had a cool look and apps and their awesome theme music that they got repackaged into. And then they were a rich Middle Eastern wannabes and went on to be uh, do absolutely nothing. So uh, low down. Chaz and D'Lo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who apparently are like good enough to be in the Royal Rumble because Drew Carey needs a spot. <laughs> when, when they one point renamed Raja and Baja as well. Remember right? <laughs> yeah. Often forgotten. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Surprisingly, Tiger Alley Singh would sue for racism after he left. Yeah, they were they were they were pretty darn useless. I'm not going to shed any tears over the fact it it helped cause the breakup of the headbangers though. You know, that, that doesn't carry any water with me, quite frankly. <laughs> I've got no sympathy for uh, for Thrasher. Um, yeah, it, it's a shame because I was always a big D'Lo fan, and I, I thought, well, you know, they've put these two together. I think I think they were they were friends in real life as well. So you sort of you know you hope for maybe a bit of chemistry there. <laughs> it's You're not hoping a, for too much, Carl. Yeah, well, evidently, yeah. But it's it's one of those where you think, well, this you know this isn't going to you know pull up any tree or anything. But it could be interesting, and at least they're actually doing something. At least with one guy that I like. Yeah. Then the Tiger Ali Sing bit comes in, and it just goes to hell in a handbasket, and I'm left asking myself, bearing in mind we talked about track records before with Ron and Don. Given Tiger Ali Singh's track record with the company prior to this, why was he still there in 2000? Yeah. I have no idea. Why was he still employed? I have no idea. Did he never leave, like, all through that period? No, he was there the contract. whole time. The whole time. Jesus. There he was. I can't, I can't remember anything about him no. before they had the, the, the turbans on. Raja and Baja. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't D'Lo kind of mentally gone by this point, though? After the Dross thing? Yeah, yeah. But I think not only was he mentally gone, the company was mentally gone on him, too. I think they all kind, oh, of, they all just kind of like threw their hands up and said, all right, well, this is the period where we've got nothing for you, D'Lo, so uh, here Here's you go. Here's a turban. Here's a turban. This is what we got for you. Big Vic on TPWW form with another great tag team here. Visser and Charlie Haas was extremely useless. Oh, yes. They bonded over their love of beating women. This is around no, the time. No, no, no. <laughs> Not necessarily beating women. They bonded over their love of beating Lillian Garcia specifically. <laughs> this is around the time Visser attacked Trish for not having sex with him and Charlie Haas broke Lillian Garcia's arm. This is 2006 <laughs> WWE. It was a real dark time. No one remembers this. I, 
absolutely. I, I distinctly remember Haas running the ropes and knocking Lillian oh, off the yeah. apron and, and a squeal. And yeah, um, that's hilarious. Were they ever actually formally a tag team though? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, very briefly. <laughs> Big Vic also says, "I think the ECW original stable could be much better if Tommy Dreamer was the leader of the stable and opened each show with a fifteen-minute Fuck you! Trolls. Stop reading that. You right can also have Tommy Stop Dreamer read. win the Fuck ECW Stop title. Stop reading it right now. Stop it. And be in the Stop. battle of the billionaires. Stop. Stop reading right now. <laughs> oh, we love you, Big Vic. <laughs> Grecian Grecian on the UK fan form says I'm going to go for a team that had enormous potential but ended up a massive letdown and finishing with a whimper rated RKO it all started so mm. well the cutting edge a justified reason to start a few with DX a couple of weeks later they're tag champs then like Hunter's quad executing a spine buster it all fell apart Survivor Series they're losing a 10 man elimination match which is overshadowed by CM Punk being cheered far more than DX Hunter blows his quad stopping that run in the first proper tag match between them Mania Edge injures himself and both make up the numbers in a Money in the Bank match in which Edge gets half killed by Jeff Hardy they even contrived to lose a 2 versus 1 handicap match against Sean Londaway dropping the tag belts as part of a run to try and get people interested in Cena versus Michaels a few weeks later Edge cashes in Money in the Bank from Kennedy gets drafted to Smackdown and that pretty much ended Rated RKO uh, so Rated RKO a run of no decisions injuries handicap losses thrown a tag title they defended once uh, in the quad match a worthy shout for the most useless tag team they could have been so so much more than they actually were underachieving I uh, yeah I I and and I can see, I suppose I I can, I can see that the positives behind putting them together on on paper, but we talk yeah we, you talk about wrestlers who had sort of peaks and troughs in their career. I always thought of this as one of the particular stale or dull whatever word you wish to use periods for for Randy Orton. Yeah, and post Hogan job, post Hogan job, and I thought this we we talk about La Familia, but. I don't think this period did Edge any favours. I don't. I don't think Edge. I don't. I don't think Randy Orton helped Edge in any way. I don't think he, he needed that association at that point. No, but I mean, they, they were. You know, it was a way to transition Edge away from Cena and keeping him in something that felt big. So he needed a mm. partner, and Orton was pretty much the only guy he had. Granted, as we say, Orton had been done no favours by the Hogan feud. Even I mean, even if he'd have won that, he was he was looking like shit in the build up anyway. So it's like this. It's just it was a bad time for Orton. He this is pre him becoming all vipery and, uh, and getting a little bit interesting with the whole concussion tour the next year. But uh, yeah, this I, I see what you mean though because again, just not not really. It, it could have been more, but again, they had that half cop thing of you know they didn't really want to put them over DX that much. They got a really shitty win at Cyber Sunday. Well, that that's the other thing, and, and uh, I mean, the email is right to to point out injuries possibly could tailor them, but I can't help but think. The way DX were treated at that at that time, without the injury, I'm not sure this still goes particularly well for rated RKO. Mm, like, you, know, you can still you can still picture them doing the job at the end, can't you? And, yeah, of course. And, and then where do you go it's from there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and if anyone knows uh, knows the downsides of dealing with Huntor, it's it's Randall it's Randy Randall Orton, Keith Orton, who's had Morton's fair share of run-ins with Triple H and never really come out on the better end of them. <laughs> I don't know. I'd put them in most useless though. They had a bit of a buzz for a, a little while until it all went tits up. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for a brief period of time there. As for me, they, ne- they never let. Oh, you're disappointing. Whatever. <clears throat> Not useless, but um, just in general that they never really led the company. Your heels stable or pairing, like you know, the two man power trip was going to be Austin yeah. and yeah. Austin trip. Okay, didn't happen. But they, you know, that we see the way that was going to go. Also, given the way they protect themselves, yeah. Is that they should the heel duo combination stable should run roughshod and then the faces come together come together 
in whatever form to uh, counteract the heels this is kind of the opposite it was, it was the reverse wasn't it, yeah. it was D- DX would have shot over everybody yeah. and Edge needs to pair up with somebody Orton and the only time when I ever really remember thinking that Rated Arcade was a unit was good was they did that one great angle and I want to say it was the New Year's Raw maybe when they laid out DX it was the th- I remember it was a three show but they laid DX out at the end and the commentators were just, they left the, the booth while they kicked the shit out of him, it was a heavy. It was felt like a heavy angle where it was just silence. It was a It was dead air from the announcers, and DX was just laid to waste by Rated RKO, and it came off really good. And of course, in, in the revenge match, Triple H loses squad. That's the end of that. So, yeah. Um, MIM seven three one on the UK fan form nominates Los Bariquas with the absolute worst. At least DOA looked like they could cause you some bother. He says Savio Vega looked well past it. Miguel Perez was decent enough in the ring, but a charisma vacuum. I believe he was the lad with the hairy back. Uh, <laughs> the most memorable thing Jose Estrada did was have his neck broken by Edge, and Jesus is so memorable he doesn't even want a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> I can't recall anything of note they achieved as a group aside from filling out the tedious gang war storyline that WWE had going on in late night. Abysmal. Yeah. Barik was, we kind of mentioned before with the DOA, this kind of does fall in line. Shit stable, shit theme song, and there was a period of time when they went from kind of looking like the Jets or the Sharks or you know, one of those groups from West Side Story to uh, like rappers, right? They were rapping their own song to the ring, wearing like street garb. I, I do vaguely remember that, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I, I quite like the entrance music. You do? Hey, I got a kick out of it. Sound your iPod? Be honest. It made it as the anthology, didn't it? It did. I think. It yeah. did. It made, it made the cut. Yeah, but then what didn't make it out <laughs> yeah. the anthologies? Yeah. Reverend Devon's theme made it the anthology. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they they were they were pretty fucking useless, and I don't really have much time for anyone who wears white jeans, frankly. Um, <laughs> they were chinos. They were chinos. Uh, chinos. There you go. White trousers, regardless. I don't have much time for anyone who does that. Aren't you a cricket fan, though? Good pair of cords. The thing is, you you mention them in the same breath as as DOA, which you have to do because of the time period. And soon, well, as soon as you mention DOA, Lost Break was no longer become the most useless. SJ five five two two on the UK fan form says, speaking of TNA end of your ripoffs, remember the kings of wrestling? Ah <laughs> uh, oh, yes, Nash, Jarrett, <laughs> and Scott Hall. The company had not long come <laughs> <laughs> The company had not long come out of the weekly pay-per-view stage and was starting to look really hot. That's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> I see what you're going for. Cue this for the main events. Nash couldn't have sounded less interested. So we're the kings of wrestling and uh, we'll be taking over, I guess. Then cue them, <laughs> then cue them turning what could, should be their breakout star, not from WWE, not from the indies, Monty Brown, was a hot face with a cracking promo on him, catchphrases, decent power worker, and a finisher that was over as hell. Him tearing down the main event heel faction is basic logic. Instead, they made the cunt turn heel on DDP for whatever balmy reason and aligned with the Kings of Wrestling, and that was more or less that. And the Jeremy on F4W says, Kings of Wrestling and TNA, Jarrett, Nash and Hall, although they have the significance of being involved in the last match of Randy Savage's career. So I don't know if that one that gives points for anybody, but I think it really does for me, to be quite honest. <laughs> the Kings of Wrestling, I just always remember this. First of all, there's the scene, there's the one page where they come out in Elvis suits, which is just <laughs> fucking shit. And there's one promo during the uh, Impact, when Impact started, where Hall and Nash are cutting a promo in the ring, trying to get this Kings of Wrestling thing over. And it's the, it, you honestly, it's like Kevin Nash, pitch a Nash, Arms folded on the top rope, <laughs> leaning over with the microphone, apathetic crowd, and him just saying, bow down to the kings of wrestling. <laughs> he could not. Was he drunk? No. Oh, you could not, he could not have sounded less infused 
if you told me he was losing the WSL to Bret Hart. <laughs> it was the most lazy fucking thing I've ever seen. I remember Jeff, Je- Jeff Hardy beat Scott Hall during this period of time when he's in the Kings of Wrestling. And Scott Hall reply- responds by getting out the ring, and no one's going to be able to see this, but doing this. <laughs> Given that, oh shucks, maybe next time. Not giving a fuck at all. It's like, they didn't care. They didn't give a shit. And, and as a result, this is bombed. Yeah, but you know what? I, I tie this all into the general uselessness of TNA because it's TNA and they were. Uh, <laughs> i say no more. Exactly. And, you know, they, these fuckers thought, yeah, whatever. It's a holiday. We'll do whatever the fuck we want. Let's take the piss. And get you know paid. what? Yeah, and we'll probably get taken back by Vince because we're taking the piss out of the competition anyways yeah. um, so I blame TNA for this one <laughs> not, not Big Kev not Big Kev or no. Scott Hall okay yeah, maybe Scott Hall <laughs> but doing the other face of places if we're talking sheer pointlessness not necessarily just bad okay. I'd like to nominate the championship duo really of Hardcore Holly and Cody Rhodes <laughs> it's okay I can yes. I, I can wait while your memory reaches back to find this yeah I remember got it their team name may as well have been the plot device because they literally only existed to move the belts to Cody and Ted DiBiase Jr. A title change, you'll recall, when a member of the winning challenger team started the match as a member of the losing champions. <laughs> yes, Cody Rhodes won the tag belts from himself that night. And Hardcore Holly went back to being, well, exactly what he'd always been, other than a brief stint as a big four pay-per-view world title number one contender. So basically, <laughs> it was it was it was a uh, Hardcore Holly and Cody Rhodes against Ted DiBiase Jr. and a mystery partner, and the mystery partner, of course, turned out to be heel Cody Rhodes. So yeah, but he got off to such a great start because you know Bob Holly hates rookies. It's it's the odd couple of Bob Holly and, and the rookie, and it's it's hilarious. He's trying to teach him. Yeah, all 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 the, all the life lessons that Hardcore yeah. Holly has to offer. Yeah, all the life lessons that Bob Holly can teach. How to suck at NASCAR. How to have terrible gimmicks. How to have anal leakage. You know, Bob Holly has all these things. Has taken good powerbomb. Yeah, don't sandbag Brock. (laughs) Harmonic Generator, to tie this in, on the UK fan form says, My nomination is for all those teams, especially in the early and mid-2000s, who were so blatantly two singles guys thrown together into a non-team because there was nothing for them to do, and you could tell watching that the attitude was the lazy, we've got nothing, so we'll just make you a tag team, that made the tag division so crap for most of that decade. I make exceptions for the teams that managed to rise above the attitude. Guerrero and Tajiri, London and Kidman, Huss and Rico, Spike and Taz. Uh, it's the ones that made absolutely no effort to, uh, to make them look or feel like an actual team by anyone involved. No team name, no combined musical entrance, no matching or complementary gear, no double team moves, just no shit given from anyone at any <laughs> stage. I'm thinking Carlito and Masters, Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly, Chief Morley and Lance Storm, Rene Dupree and Kenzo Suzuki, and so many more. Even the Shoguns had a team name. It's not hard for fuck's sake. And if a proper tag team ever managed to sneak past this barrier of shite, they'd inevitably do a breakup angle with them within months or draft them to different shows for the hell of it. I'm so pleased we've moved past that thinking to a time where there are actual teams in WWE again. I just hope this new draft doesn't make history repeat itself. Good points there, I think, all around on the air. Billy Gunn and Jamie Noble team yes! for a time. Yes, yes, they did. They're both trying to fuck Tori Wilson and storyline. Yeah. Maven and Al Snow is one I never had time for. Well, and before anyone tries the tough enough connection, yes, they did have that in a sense, but they didn't have a team name. They didn't have a finisher because I don't think they ever won. And they just came out to Maven's music. Supersonic on Pro Wrestling Only says another lousy Gabe Sapolsky idea was in 2007 when he went in a faction warfare direction. This was due to the success that company partner Dragon Gate had with. 
with it. By focusing so much on what were mostly useless factions, the product suffered overall, especially with a lack of detail for Nigel McGuinness's chase to the top. Such ROH factions from 2007 include The Resilience, led by Austin Aries, included dry personalities Matt Cross and Eric Stevens. <laughs> Hangman 3, led by often ennui-inducing Adam Pearce. Other members included dry personalities, Brent Albright and BJ Whitmer, your favourite car. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Vulture Squad, led by Jack Evans, with other members Ruckus and Jigsaw, with Julius Smokes as their mouthpiece after Homicide's departure. God, I hated Julius Smokes. <laughs> you're, you're a big fan of them doing the bird thing. Oh, <laughs> the Coco Beware tribute act. Yeah, Frankie's dead. <laughs> Let him go. This particular faction has the worst opening sound effect I've ever heard for a wrestling theme. Fortunately for you, I'm unable to find it online to share it with you. Is it Julius Smoke going blah? Probably, or do some caca. <laughs> the faction warfare fell apart for a number of reasons by 2008, never resulting in anything monumental. Ultimately, though, it was something that should have been aborted on the scrapping room floor, even if better decisions had been made with it, such as keeping the Kings of Wrestling together as part of Larry Sweeney's Sweet and Sour Incorporated. Ah, oh, Larry Sweeney. Uh, and Emmy's recruiting newcomers Steen and Generico in his war against Roderick Strong's No Remorse Corps. Uh, the result was a year that showed a steep decline in Topolsky's storytelling performance, and many on the ROH roster suffered for it with lousy or no direction, such as McGuinness, as already mentioned, as well as Steen and Generico after their feud with the Briscoes. So, uh, yeah, I was a big fan of this. This after, after a great 2006 for Ring of Honor. It almost felt like a creative shake-up for the sake of it. Yeah. And with uh, the Morishima title win and this, and which I wasn't a fan of. And ill-timed as well, in, in the sense of they just got that deal with some of the pay-per-view carriers yeah, yeah, as well, like Dish Network and yeah. all that sort of thing. Yeah, I, there's there's actually a. Um, I remember the uh, the video they stuck on their YouTube channel when they were announcing that deal. They were going through. Yeah, I did see. I the, the, the video roster, and you see these factions come, and you go through the names. The No Remorse Corps, and you just it just. It's just that words put together, aren't they, rather than an actual name of something. The Vulture Squad. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could only sort of look at it objectively and just sort of think, yeah, Sapolsky's burnt out. Mm. But by that stage, you know, he, he's, been, he's been booking it pretty much by himself for, what, five years? Around that. There or thereabouts. It's going to take its toll eventually, and it just, it did show, it, it felt very stale. And There was so much great personality going on in 2006, when you had, like, you know... Joe, Joe was dipping in and out. You had Danielson doing his great reign. You had the Briscoes who, who, who were feeling hot at the time. You had so much going on with, you know, again, Generation Net, you know, they were still there. Yeah, ROH and CZW had, yeah, had been inter awesome yeah, interesting stuff. stuff. Homicides chased to the title. There was a lot going on. And all of a sudden, it's like a lot of personality is suddenly getting stripped and the, the focus is on guys, Eric Stevens, Matt Cross, BJ Whitmer. I, yeah. I don't give a fuck about any of these people. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, so you want about Roderick Strong, he's you know he's he's a a good hand. I'm not going to criticise him in that sense, but personality-wise, yeah, especially then, there's just there's just nothing there. No, completely valid nomination in general. Again, kind of going to that, like I said, Dragon Gate, but it, it was it was closer to the uh, Gang Wars of '97 for me, unfortunately. <laughs> we got one more to wrap up here with Neil Robinson on the Facebook page. Says, "I know this one was hokey, but fuck me, I hated every moment of the Dungeon of Doom." Let's look at the members yes. of this cavalcade of fuck shite. Yeah. King Curtis Iakea with his Hasselback potato forehead barking orders from what looks like a giant toilet. Kevin Sullivan. I've always hated Sullivan. Always looked like he'd shit himself. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's probably waiting for King Curtis to get off the throne. <laughs> Kamala, who was out of place in 92 and was an embarrassment in 95. The shark, John Tender, always looked like that sweaty, creepy guy your mum would always tell you to stay away from when you were a kid. The Zodiac. Do we really need to talk more about how shit and Brutus, Booty Man, Big Brother Booty, Brother Brutai, Brute Force? Butcher, Clipmaster, Disciple, Disclipmaster. Clip. Oh. Clipmaster. Now they come great with Brute Force. <laughs> Disciple, Dizzy Hogan, Ed Boulder, Eddie Hogan, The Mariner, The Man with No Name, The Zodiac, Beefcake Leslie actually is. <laughs> <laughs> Big Van Vader, not in it long enough to be dragged down by it, but let's thank Mr. Wonderful's flip-flops for that. <laughs> the Giant, probably the best of the bunch, was freakishly agile at the time and could survive falling off Kobo Hall <laughs> with nary a scratch. Uh, I remember where I was the night of the monster truck duel. <laughs> <laughs> Meng, I was not stupid or brave enough to criticise him so he gets a free pass. The Yeti, think, I think I believe it's Yeti. Think about how bad this was and think it was meant to be El Gigante. And Loch Ness, the Giant Haystacks in 96. Seriously, these were the highlights. But throw in other worthless plebs like One Man Gang, Conan, Z Gangster, Z Gangster, uh, the final ultimate solution, and I'm astounded they lasted that long. To think its big payoff was the Doomsday Cage match, the worst main event ever, all that shines in one match, and Ric Flair did the job. <laughs> Thank fuck Scott Hall turned up when he did. An absolute diarrhea fart of an idea. No one came out of this looking good. And that's fantastic. Thank you, Neil Robinson, for a great coverage on the Dungeon of Doom. Thoughts who, on this? Who was the clip master? Clip master. Who was the. It was Brutus. Master? Is that the uh, clip in game you Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, WCW's attempt well, to use the beat the barber gimmick at first before uh, McDivitt got on the case. Yeah, think, think Boss Man, The Boss, Guardian Angel, yeah. Big Bubba Rogers, <laughs> Ray Trailer. Ray Trailer. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hate the Dungeon of Doom. Yes. Yeah. Fucking embarrassing. Awful. All those 95 worldwide memories coming so back. embarrassing. That Bush League set with Ikea introducing the newest member and it's like Meng with this gold horse head or some shit on his head. Or the shark screaming shark attack at the camera. Or Brutus Beefcake making Brutus Beefcake faces with that face paint on screaming yes, no, yes, no. Oh. I just remember when I was I was working away when the network first came out and I remember texting you Liam and saying I'll oh, text you any time something really shit comes on on Nitro because I'm going to start it from the start I think you turned notifications off on me <laughs> <laughs> I texted you so many times I was like what's that shit what's that shit um, and it didn't even make sense week to week it was different people who appeared and, and it, it was just incoherent horseshit yeah. Ikea had rep for, has been a good promo didn't it yeah never saw it from those promos not, not from those promos you wouldn't see no. it no it's all, it's all fucking you know Bray Wyatt shit Sullivan Sullivan my son just a fucking midget the shard fucking (laughs) beefcake enough has been said even with a great name like the clipmaster don't like it Um, he needed to give someone the rub though Ah, <laughs> that's genius. What, what's the Yeti most famous for? Dry humping. Yes. Him, him and the Clipmaster would have had one hell of a house party. <laughs> Just, you know, it, the dark days of, of Ho- the Hogan and Friends variety hour that it was. <laughs> it was. You know, it, during this horrific period, the temerity that Hogan's lost his moustache. <gasps> he's he's going through his you know, the dark side. <laughs> yeah, the sword. Yeah, the sword. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, whether or not it's the monster truck duel or the hideous cage match or Hogan going to the dungeon. 
Yeah, yeah, he was. I remember texting. Was there Why is there an old man shouting in the corner? <laughs> covered, <laughs> covered in cobwebs, looking like more from the Power Rangers or Zod or whatever he was fucking called. <laughs> the guy, nice. the guy in the light bulb tube. Zod, fucking Superman. Yeah, you're thinking. And who's he? The one he said. Um, Morph. Morph is like a little <laughs> Tony Hart guy. Are you thinking of Alpha? Alpha probably, yeah. That it was all at its height in the middle of it at the start of Nitro, so anyone who ever wants to watch Nitro and think, well, what was the first episode like? It's that. Like, I know the first episode of Raw isn't particularly exciting, but at least it, it sort of stands on its own, whereas you go in the middle of that stuff on Nitro and it's just insanity and awful. And <laughs> It's like, you know... Why is there a fat shark? I think I've still got that text still. <laughs> you, you say it's in. Kieran, you, you mentioned the, the word embarrassing. And it's. It, it, the dungeon are one of those that fall into the same categories of you know, the Jim Mitchell and Abyss stuff, where if you're watching it and a friend sees you watching it who's not a wrestling fan and, th- and that's what they see, you know, it's the sort of thing that makes you ashamed at times, isn't it? because that, that's what they associate with wrestling and it just makes you look like a complete fool yeah 80s WWF you know it's we call it cartoony but there's got there's nostalgia to it right of course there's a campy enjoyment for a lot of stuff this is like the ultimate cartoon strip away all the nostalgia strip away nostalgia and charm and anything good about it and no, let me just digress Hogan lost his moustache yes yeah, his moustache. so it wasn't it was never a real moustache no he shaved off from an angle uh, so that he could film the secret agent club, I believe. Lost it does imply that he misplaced it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have stretched the gamut of different nominations for useless tag teams and useless stables. So round the table, if there weren't any that were mentioned, it's time to nut up and make a decision about our pick for useless tag team and useless stable. Well, we, we talked earlier about a, a couple that hadn't been mentioned, like the Bushwhackers. Um, one I'm surprised didn't get mentioned were the Allied Powers. Two guys treading water during a period where the company was treading water and just to sort of you know bring it full circle they do open Wrestlemania 11 against Eli and Jacob Blue <laughs> the Harris boys are back merely a suggestion <laughs> you also mentioned Magnificent 7 earlier on Carl's oh yes stable. god the Magnificent oh jeez we got Rick in his Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Has he ever looked less Ninja <laughs> Boy than that <laughs> he period? He really it's, wasn't it's trying. David Flair haircut in his Hawaiian shirt yeah. because Mark Mad had been fired and someone needs to wear one, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. You've got fucking Road Warrior Animal without Hawk. So what's the point? <laughs> You've got old Laxative Lex without Liz. Buff, Buff Bagwell just running around laughing and grinning like an idiot with his ridiculous hat. But who am I missing? The Steiners. Here? The Steiners. Scott in his steroid fueled rage, he could have his entertaining moments, but then you've got the human dog Rick Steiner, who no one was begging <laughs> to see come back. The only thing that could have made it worse is if the target world champion Shane Douglas was in there with him. <laughs> it's a sorry group for a sorry period in which the company was just waiting to be flushed. <laughs> Yeah, there's some people. There were some people who think that WWE picks up uh, in the last uh, the last few months. Those people are wrong. <laughs> Those people are wrong, and the donkey's ass on Nitro proves it. We actually did get a few that we haven't got here. Uh, I'm not going to actually read them all, but we just uh, Road Dog and K Crush, the Core, the New Nexus. Oh, get rowdy! Ryan Baxel, the Job Squad, 3MB, Midian and Viscera, uh, Legacy, another vote for the Bariquas, uh and Serotonin. Also got to mention it. Oh, the LWO and uh, the team of Giant Silver and Giant Singers, Club Seven, New Japan. 
So that's uh, so a real few fucking stinkeroos here. Oh, an immortal from TNA. Yeah, so quite a few. And, and the, uh, also the Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, NWO 2000. <laughs> the yeah. Misfits in Action. Oh, God. The Band. Filthy Animals. And the New Blood. Who the well. fuck was the band? The band it was, was the um, NWO, it? It was basically board. the NWO, but they couldn't use, they, you know, the band's back together, they couldn't use the initials NWO and TNA, so it was oh, sorry, Paul, yes. Waltman, Nash, and then Eric Young. Oh, I <laughs> so yeah. Eric Young standing in for Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all that uselessness, all that shitness, and we didn't even mention half the stables in TNA in 2010. Pick one. Who are you going with? Most useless. If I've got to pick one, I've got to go with Ron and Don. Kieran? I really don't like the bushwhackers, but I'll go Ron and Don too. Ron Don. <laughs> Ron and Don. It's unanimous around the table. Uh, as most useless tag team, I'll say Ron and Don, and for the worst, they were DOA. So they, they, they take them both. <laughs> it's a clean sweep. <laughs> a clean sweep. So congratulations to the Harris boys. Double uh, win. Yeah, double victory, which rarely happens on this show. Uh, I want to thank everybody for all the contributions. If we didn't get to this time, we apologise. We have unfortunately run out of time. Uh, next week, we will be back here at Squared Circle Gazette Radio. However, with a show that I'm very much looking forward to, Richard Fox had sent us a, a message on the Facebook page suggesting a show based on your most contrarian thoughts, uh, your most against-the-grain sentiments about anything to do with pro wrestling. So it can be an against-the-grain thought about a wrestler's ability or angle or a match or a show. What is your most contrarian, against-the-grain thought about anything to do with professional wrestling and we're going to talk about them here around this fine oaken table next week here at Squared Circle Gazette Radio so I want to thank everybody for listening for Carl Jones thank you folks I'm off to King Ikea's toilet bowl to flush out a Harris <laughs> for Kieran O'Rourke if anyone uh, fancies contributing to the Dijon Chase Memorial Fund you can pay via PayPal to kieran.profitoroke at hotmail.com donations above £20 and for Matt Holt this show has been presented in the memory of Chief John Chase I am Liam O'Rourke and we are out of here talk to you next week I hate rap I like NASCAR racing Richard Petty is still the king yeah, they call me a redneck, but you know that's a beautiful thing. There's only one thing that I hate, cause it's a bunch of crap. I hate rap. There's only one thing that I hate, cause it's a bunch of crap. I hate rap. Rap is crap. Rap is crap. <laughs>